name is Ross Bateman, role-playing public radio. This is RPPR, episode 109, the 5th Ed Dungeons & Dragons Breakdown. And with me, not as always, is um, Bill and uh, Sean, who are players in our uh, many of our games. Uh, Bill's been all the way back from the New World uh, campaign, 4th uh, Ed, and Sean is one of our newer players. He ran the Dissidents of Darlin uh, one-shot and uh, has been playing. You'll hear a lot more of him from the uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep campaign, which is upcoming soon. Unless uh, we all die along with our characters. Uh, well, the, uh, the, the episodes are already recorded. We already got like ten or so games recorded. That's true. So, even even if we all perish, yeah. so long as you survive. You made it through the first Whatever. two chapters. Spoiler. You can kill a character and come back. It's yeah. completely fine. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about the characters. I'm saying, what if we die along the way? Is he like Tom? Normally he would be here, but now he's gone. <laughs> I want to talk to uh, I, this episode. The time is not here because I want to talk with people who had a lot of experience with Fifth Ed Dungeons and Dragons. And you guys probably have more experience than uh, anyone else in our local group. Uh, Tom has only played that one time at uh-huh. Gen Con, uh, uh, and, and, and then you're place. one shot. Yeah. yeah, so three times. Yeah, three times. But. Yeah. yeah. His staring at other books to playing D&D ratio is pretty low. <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't even have the books yet himself. So um, we'll be talking about Fifth Ed Dungeons & Dragons. Sean is newer to the gaming scene, so uh, and Bill is, of course, more of a veteran. So uh, we'll have some comparison and contrast. Beard is mighty. Yes. Uh, your grog level is over 9. That, no. All right. Oh. Um, so uh, there's not much news. Uh, I will say RPBR B-Sides Volume 2, uh, the episodes are encoded. Uh, and I will have them out this month. Uh, I just wanted to get all of that. Uh, I wanted to get the bundle of clothing done. So as I mentioned last yeah. episode, where I'm just getting new art to uh, for this uh, compilation, <laughs> new, new promotional artwork, which is. Uh, I got Violet Kirk to do it. I will explain the description of it. It will be the RPPR Dragon, or Pontifex Lich running a game for uh, the RPPR Dragon and uh, Sprinkles the Unicorn, or Sparkles the Unicorn. So, um, and yeah, there'll be little in jokes and stuff like no that. No Uh We can't fit it on the, it's just a little square. Uh, yeah, I know. They got more people than that in dogs playing D&D, Ross. Yeah, I know. Well, well maybe next time. But anyways, um, so that's it for news. So let's talk about Fifth Ed Dungeon Dragons. Let's it, do that. Um, the DMG has just came out recently. I got a review copy of it, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. And um, But we haven't had time to really incorporate it into games. But you guys, uh, why don't you both of you just give sort of your background and your over, you know, in terms of being D&D players, GMs, and that kind of thing. And uh, we'll just go from there. So, Sean, you want to start? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much before 2013, I hadn't really played D&D or role-play games at all, with the exception of maybe occasional one-shots in the dorms Yeah, in college. Um, but And I had looked at the books for 4th Ed at that time. Um, but... Uh, that's pretty much it. Experience. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh uh, gosh, I I started role playing. I'm just yeah, because it's pretty much like D and D sort of brackets my history of role playing. I started yeah. in 2004, so I was a sophomore in college. Um, Dan, frequently known as Fuzzy Dan, uh, yeah, friend to all, uh, actually got me into the hobby with a Star Wars game, uh, which makes me sad. Um, <laughs> later on because, you know, Star Wars, sad. But anyway, uh, that was D20 Star Wars, so ostensibly third ed-ish. Um, 
played third ed D&D off and on, experimented with, you know, the wilder wilds of that, ran some Iron Heroes, played a little Iron Heroes. Yeah. Little D20 Modern, uh, all that jazz. Um, that's basically the start of things so you, for me. Played a bit, you know, off and on. So you really started with Third Ed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd read a couple Second Ed books, never owned any, um, and, you know, played some Baldur's Gate, which... Yeah. I mean, as, as far as I can tell, was a relatively faithful reproduction, other than being, you know, fairly murder-hobo-ish. Well, uh, that's... Being a video we'll, game. We'll, we'll talk about murder-hoboism, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's as far as history goes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, just so you know, I kind of, uh, similar arc, uh, Bill, I think I started a little earlier in yeah. that. <laughs> um, I started at the very tail end of the second ed in terms of, like, I read Pretty a lot nice. of those books, yeah. I didn't play very much, but uh, the older kids... Uh, Too had, much riffs to be played? Well, uh, um, there was a yeah. I, I, as as you know, I, I uh, experimented with riffs <laughs> in the early days. Uh, you from you already? Yeah, pretty much. But I read some of the second ed books and played a little bit and that kind of thing. But I really got hardcore into it as the third ed wave mm-hmm. began. So we won't go into the history of D anD D, but you know there is uh, there is a huge divide between <laughs> it exists. Yeah, third between second edition, third edition, and then so it's incrementally changed. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, first off, why don't we just talk about an overall impression of Fifth Ed as a game? So, Sean, uh, what are your you know, impressions? What do you what, what do you like? What do you don't like? That kind overall, of thing? I actually do like Fifth Ed better than Fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, character creation is a lot simpler. The math is not as calculusy kind of feeling. Um, the as far as running games, I feel like I was able to just jump right in with mm-hmm. it after having experienced a couple of Bill's yeah. games and some of yours it was pretty easy to once I had the monster manual just run yeah um, yeah this was your first time running games right that was very- right um, overall I like the artwork I like the way that the books are written mm-hmm. so yeah I'd say it's it's all in all very good alright um, okay. uh, Bill um, so, so to get really out there, I'm going to start from some meta commentary. Um, what I've read, like, as far as really kind of negative criticism mm-hmm. or constructive criticism even of Fifth Ed is that really it's it's not very groundbreaking. It's it's pretty, um, it's kind of love lettery to previous editions. Mm-hmm. And, and I will grant them that, but here's sort of my impression of it. Um, I I feel like, you know, in the context of my own history and stuff, um, Third Ed was built on a framework of a lot of really great ideas that just weren't proved out mathematically. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, kind of failed in the in the testing yeah. to go deep enough. You know, um, I think Monty Cook and some of the other designers are kind of on record in a vague kind of way as as like <clears throat> saying they kind of assumed that people would play characters the way they assumed people would play characters. I really and their that's expectations kind of were sort yeah. of based on second editions. So. Exactly. Uh-huh. Which is what sort of developed the whole third ed cleric and druidzilla problem. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially people playing what hadn't been intended as frontline characters but ended up being capable. Yeah. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh, math problems from the from the DM side, encounters being hard to build, all that jazz. 
Um, fourth Ed kind of, in my opinion, flips that on its head. Uh, the math is really solid, but I kind of, at the end of the day, uh, I feel like the ideas weren't really as much in there. Um, I actually have been crashing my way back through uh, Robin Law's blog here recently, mm-hmm. and uh, there's an article of his that I'm kind of going to diverge from um, where he talks about, like... And this goes to opinion for me, yeah. for Fifth Ed as well. Uh, what makes D&D special to me and what probably keeps it in place as, you know, at least by sales volume and probably player bases, like, you know, the world's biggest RPG. Um, so D&D has a really simple, um, it's not core mechanic, um, but core activity. Yeah. I mean, it's basically kill things and take their stuff. Yes. But... <laughs> I think what really makes it special is that there's a meta-level activity that sort of goes on at the table, if you've got a table that likes to play this way, is that there's a meta-core activity of trying to subvert the actual core activity. Mm-hmm. I think this comes up, you know, a lot in fantasy games at RPPR, you know. The New yeah. World is basically composed of the players trying to avoid every fight they possibly can. Yeah. I think that's kind of Let's where talk to ed, the monsters yeah. instead of kill them. Yeah, and that's why 4th Ed kind of ended up breaking down and feeling kind of samey and boring after a while was because it really didn't have a lot of support for things that weren't the core activity. So, you know, to pull this all together, um, in talking about, like, yes, this is kind of a love letter to previous editions, but it's taken the stable mathematical underpinnings of 4th to actually drive an engine that looks a lot like third lets you do all those non-core activity things and lets you accomplish kind of that player feeling of, mm. haha, we have, you know, conquered the encounter, but in a way that was a surprise to the DM, basically. Yeah. That makes the game feel special. So that's kind of long-winded, but that's what I think. And I will say that as a DM, a first-time DM, it's actually very exciting when somebody does something unexpected. Oh, yeah. When they... Solve things in a unique way or do something completely horrifying. <laughs> I, I mean, we'll yeah. talk about later, maybe. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's one of my major motivations around games is I will set up problems, but then I don't figure out solutions myself. I literally just come to the table to find out what the players will come up with. Yeah. And uh, it's very entertaining, regardless of what happens. Um, now, to talk about like the balance between the editions, I think uh, the biggest problem Third Ed has, and this is sort of a well-documented thing, is the what is called Spellcaster Supremacy, which mm-hmm. you sort of touch on with the Druidzilla and that kind of thing, yeah. but also Arcane Spellcasters. Yeah. Um, and the idea is in Third Ed, uh, fi- martial characters, fighters especially, are vastly inferior to Spellcasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there hasn't been... and. There, there, there are a lot of reasons why, and the thing is, um, one of the big things is actually in second ed that supremacy isn't as documented. Like mm-hmm. fighters do a lot better in second mm-hmm. edition than they do in third edition um, because of the they have better savings throws, they have uh, a lot more hit points, they're much more dangerous in combat, um, especially if you optimize them. Like a dark mm-hmm. fighter in second edition is brutal. A dark uh, fighter, yeah, that's you throw, amazing. Yeah, no, throwing darts because um, you get to you uh, fighter could specialize in a weapon, get plus mm-hmm. one to hit plus two to damage and then it's a thrown weapon so you get your strength bonus and you could get like 
So you can have plus eight to damage with a dart <laughs> at level one if you roll really well for strength. Wow. Um, and the thing is, that's huge because hit yeah. points were lower in mm-hmm. second ed than third ed. Mm-hmm. And the thing with darts, you would just start with like three attacks per round. Mm-hmm. So you could just murder uh, yeah, them. Weapon speed. Wow. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, it's just... Um, and spellcasters had a lot more limitations in second edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this is, bit, there's different theories about why. One of it is just cultural. Like, people who play RPGs more likely associate themselves with wizards than, you know, badass warriors. You mm-hmm. know, it's brains over brawn. Um, and so why shouldn't wizards be more special? The other thing is the realism thing. Like, a fighter can't do yeah. that. You know, that, no human could do whatever, you know, crazy yeah. stunt or whatever. But a wizard, well, it's magic. Of course he can... Turn himself invisible, fly 400 feet, and drop fireballs on enemies. Why not? You know. Yeah. So um, that's this again. At the same time, though, with the earlier editions, the fantasy would have been a little bit more rooted in sword and sorcery type things with Conan. So that might yeah. have been why the fighters were a little bit better in the earlier editions, yeah. is because there was more of a mindset for that. Well, I mean, also um, they the early editions had were rooted in war gaming, and they had just put made them very restricted. And also, wizards were weaker in those. Mm-hmm. Old, yeah. Old I've looked at a few of them. They're squishy. Uh, well, also, I mean, if you look at Conan stories, wizards are pretty weak. Like they, mm-hmm. they can do the one thing, you know, but they they have a lot of limitations. Yeah. So, um, so the game balance was vastly different. So Third Ed made spellcasters just mm-hmm. superior to martial characters in pretty much every way. Um, and I think the thing is in Fourth Ed, I really like. I think the weakness of Fourth Ed is actually the fact that it requires an active investment of uh, time and system mastery from mm-hmm. every player. From every player. Um, because you have different types of players and some people are like uh, you guys, like both of you learn your, what your characters can do and how to do them. Some of them are more casual shall we, uh, shall we say, where they don't necessarily learn how their <laughs> characters work or um, they and they're just here to have fun, you know. They just show up and they play, and they don't necessarily pay attention as much to the rules. And like I remember playing, and I mentioned this before in the podcast that one, the few games I played at John and Katie's house, the mm-hmm. fourth ed, where everybody knew their characters and they it could was, synergize. Yeah. It was, and that was the way fourth ed comment was meant to be played. It was an entirely different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really do like fourth ed, and um, I think the thing, and, I, and of course I, you know, have run a lot of fourth yeah. ed, but. Uh, as for the the not supporting actions outside of the key activities, I mean that's just role playing, and like um, I kind of like the openness of it because it's kind of like fate or some of the other fish where it's just like, all right, well I'll just adjudicate on the fly, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. I mean you're not trying to build a an intense social conflict RPG, you know. True. So, however, I will see I will see your point with this rejoinder. Mm-hmm. Um, a long time ago, Rich Burlew, who draws and writes Order of the Stick, yeah. uh, back when he was producing other content for his website, yeah. uh, was writing sort of a kitbashy article on diplomacy rules for Third Ed, um, and essentially made the point that he didn't find it very helpful uh, to be told, sort of, you know, by the enshrinement of the zeroth rule and what have you, yeah. that as the DM he could do whatever he want wanted he already knew he could do that he was hoping for some sort of framework that if he couldn't come up with anything to hang it on no i think yeah i think that's the springboard yeah 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 um and and unfortunately not of all of us could be the creative wellspring of one ross payton yes Uh, (laughs) Uh, no i I understand that too because a lot of time because you want to make it fair for the players and you don't want to like say they succeed or they don't or just flip a coin you want something a little better i mean Mm -hmm. it's the point of having a game 
Uh, I understand that, and I felt that too. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like in Fourth Ed, uh, especially during the New World campaign or Dark Sun, I never felt real like. I came up with mini games basically right. to do yeah. that. And you did it. I mean, yeah. you did a great job. Yeah. I just like for me, I don't I can't necessarily yeah. go to that design place as easily. So But for me, like Fourth Head did solve the spellcaster supremacy problem. That's true. The balance just was completely. a lot better. And that for me was more important than the other thing. So for and me. I feel Fifth Ed has gone back has reverted. I, I don't. I feel spellcaster I supremacy is a problem. I actually don't know that spellcaster supremacy is a problem. It may just look like it because teamwork is such a big component of fifth ed. At least the way that our group has played, and it works really well. Right. Players can play off of each other excellently. For example, yeah. you and David King in the one shot that I, I'm sorry, last yeah. name. Yeah. You and David in the one yeah. shot that I ran that barred monk combo. Yeah, yeah. With the cloud of daggers and the stunning strike. Yeah. Wham. The Cloud of Daggers by itself is pretty good, but when you combine it with something else, it just makes it right. lethal. And then um, in the other campaigns that we've been playing with Bill or you, yeah. well, you haven't run any D&D, but with Bill, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. well, you played, yeah, yeah. at least. Anyway. Um, you get these really nice interactions and give and takes between the fighter characters and the spellcasting characters mm-hmm. to where... If you use them properly, neither one is really supreme. They just balance each other really well. Yeah. Well, and and I think, I mean, I'll, I'll pick particularly on, on your points here, Ross, just yeah. because that's the thing I'm doing right now. Yeah. Um, I think the problem may lie in that the spellcasters do look a lot like the third end spellcasters yeah. uh, to a certain degree until you start digging into stuff. Um, for one, you've got uh, the concentration rule preventing yeah. buff stacking. Right. Meaning, yeah, spellcasters may still get to do amazing cosmic things, right. but they're not going to do. They're not going to stack multiple amazing cosmic things at once. Yeah. So they may still, you know, have a meteor swarm that can do a fuck ton of damage, you know, at one time. But it's just going to be that spell uh, where I think most of your non-magic characters kind of, um, gosh, how to say this without turning into a stats nerd. Uh, I think spellcasters have shifted more back into that glass cannon kind mm-hmm. of balance Bingo. where they can hit really hard but limitedly, where they have juiced, uh, I've noticed especially fighters, uh, where who, exactly. who still feel the most like a fourth ed character depending on build. Uh, you can do some really, really interesting tactical stuff from what I've been seeing. And your damage can, you know, as much as that's the important thing, can, you, you get a lot more consistency. Mm-hmm. You can do it round after round. Um, and, like, I think part of it is we all ignored the spell concentration rules in 3rd Ed because they were hard. Well, if concentration was just to... Um, keep a spell if you were damaged. Yeah, keep a spell if you were damaged or if you were preparing a multi-round spell, like a summoning spell. Right. Where um, those rules function. Well, the thing a lot is, all the, all the buff spells in Third Ed were fire and forget, so like yeah. you you could have mm-hmm. you could stack them up. Um, and I mean that that's really uh, the, the the thing is the the spellcasters though have a lot more versatility, and I think the thing is we haven't really seen the effects of it because I've read a lot of commentary online that like nitpicking all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and it sort of breaks down more. After you get past like level eight, like in the mid to higher levels, is where it really breaks down because especially you're dealing with monsters with unique abilities, mm-hmm. and if you're dealing with monsters that can turn invisible or fly or have ranged attacks or exotic yeah. abilities, which become very common yeah. after a certain point, yeah. that's where the fighter 
like is just a dude with a sword, whereas the the spellcaster can turn invisible, fly, and cast fireballs from four hundred feet up. Mm-hmm. But I would um, almost argue that the characters that are actually supreme in this edition yeah. are what I would call hybrid characters, things like the monk right. and the bard that are more. But they're still essentially spellcasters. They're, they're stra- well, not exactly. Well, that I, monk yeah. is pretty much a badass hand to hand combat. Right. They really. I really like using the monk, and I like using the monk better than I have liked using the warlock or the wizard. Interesting. Even though I naturally sort of gravitate towards the spellcaster, the Weird. monk is sort of. Yeah, Weird. I know. But <laughs> Back to that cultural thing, yeah. <laughs> the monk, it. It's not as squishy, so yeah. you have more versatility because you can do a little bit of what the fighters do, right. but you also have these interesting sidebar achievements that you can do as well. Because the thing, okay, with, without breaking this down into cracking a, a handbook open here and, and looking at it, like, I'm pretty certain if you were trying to be that wizard, like, you would have to choose between flying or being invisible because you can't concentrate on both spells at once. And if that monster hits you, yeah. you've got to uh, you know make your save at ten or half the damage, whichever's higher, right. to not fall out of the sky or become visible. Right. Well, and then there's also the matter of the sorcerer, which is really powerful, but it has negative consequences <laughs> potentially, which <laughs> I think is fantastic. Yeah. That is a, a wonderful game design as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's mostly the wild magic sorcerer. I think the dragon sorcerer is is pretty it's much just get consistent. some fun things. But the options are both there. Right. And wild magic is much more fun. Sorry, dragon lovers out there. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. And this is, again, we're, we're even, uh, we're only a few months into fifth act. Yeah. So I think probably in a year we'll have a much better, like, mm-hmm. understanding of, like, where the system balances. And, mm-hmm. like, um, and we could go on and on and on just right. about whether this is balanced uh, mm-hmm. particularly or not. I think, I mean, and so... It's it's certainly uh, a valid concern, and I think, yeah. and, and it's also the non-combat problems is what is again because the wizard can be like, oh, well, this today I'll fly, or tomorrow I'll turn invisible to deal with this challenge or this conflict. Oh, mm-hmm. whereas the fighter guy is just fighter guy, so if he comes with a bottomless pit or you know indecipherable runes or you know something like that, he has he isn't as versatile either. Like he can hit things, and that's about it. I don't know though because have yeah. you seen the way that Anne plays fighters? Uh, well, again, those are low-level games. I'm thinking more at the mid and higher levels is where the the difference is. Like the thing, from what I understand, is Fifth Ed was extensively playtest, but more at the lower levels. Like they, yeah. they don't have as much playtesting at the higher levels. And Which, the the like the thing about Fourth Ed is everything was balanced from one to thirty, where everything like in terms of like the mathematics of what your ability bonuses yeah. and mm-hmm. item bonuses and uh, what any given power could do. Right, and I uh, from a strictly wargaming perspective. Right. But yeah. And but I anyway, will say yeah. that you're not probably on the point and that may be why our encounter calculators aren't working when we're developing yeah, games for I, the higher levels. I, I know what's going on with that. But anyway. It's uh, Yeah, we'll we'll get to encounter calculators. Uh, um one thing I also, but the one thing is so that that I think is fifth ed's big, big advantage over fourth ed is the ease of learning. Yeah, is that it's picked up because again fourth ed requires that buy-in, and um, you get I th- so if you, everyone was invested in it, I think you'd have a tighter game. But like for the but we you you seldom have a group where everyone is as invested in it, mm-hmm. you know. So um, uh, certainly for one shots and games where you have a lot of different player types showing up, I think mm-hmm. uh, fifth head, especially at lower levels, has an advantage. Uh, so uh, and it's fun. I mean, you guys, everyone here has had fun doing it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Um, 
Why don't so? Are there any other things aside from this that really stand out in your mind when dealing, like Sean? Like again, this is, you're new to the whole thing. Like, what stood out most to you when reading the books or playing the game or running the game? Hmm. Like anything? Like I mean, you mentioned like how you liked running games because what players will do to surprise you, and which isn't specific to D and D, but like that's really fun. Well, I know that what Anne and I have noticed. We're married, so we yeah. talk about this all the time at home. <laughs> so. Um, Anne actually hates playing the spellcasters because she gets frustrated with the leveling up for the spellcasters because she feels like there's too much information she needs to process. Yes. And this is not Anne being super casual. My wife is... Wow. If anybody knew Anne, that would not be the case. She reads everything meticulously, and that is the problem. So if you are sort of a more... Borderline OCD, I'm going to probably get in trouble for that comment later. <laughs> Only if she listens, just make sure she doesn't listen to it. I'll get in trouble for that comment later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Borderline OCD. Yeah. I see what she'll, she'll read every single word, so leveling right. up becomes much more complicated. Mm-hmm. And so when you're leveling up midway through in a setting or yep. a campaign or mm-hmm. something, yeah. she doesn't want to deal with that. All right. Yeah. So which, which ultimately is kind of a problem. player like, style, yeah. I doubt we ever could have got Anne into the hobby at, with Fourth Ed because it was inescapable. Well, she tried playing as a cleric, and she hated it. Mm-hmm. Like, she was screaming bloody murder. Because, yeah, that, that level of choice analysis... would have been worse than the cleric in that respect. But. Whereas, I don't mind that as much, right. but I like also having more versatility. So, like I said, I really love the monk. Yeah, I mean, if you just want somebody who... My only frustration with the monk is... The way the chi points are set up is very confusing at first. Yeah. Um, and they could have outlined that better, that you are essentially a hybrid spellcaster. But they didn't really. So there's yeah. these things to where you have to flip back and forth between sections of the book when you're yeah. in the middle of gameplay. <laughs> which is incredibly frustrating. And it will be remedied once all of us have the spell cards, because then you can just throw those around. Yeah, although you've hit on the core problem of, I think, anything but the rules lightest of RPGs in general. Like, if you can interact with it in in much of a way, you're going to end up with the book-flipping problem. Which doesn't bug me, because... I I, I mean, it depends. I mean, like, in Gumshoe, I think, uh, the only time that's happened is the really complex stuff in Night's Black Age, and, like, the chase rules. Right. Like, Base Trail Cthulhu, you know. But I would call that a pretty rules-like game. Base Trail of Cthulhu. All right. All right. right. Uh, You know, I think there's actually, looks like a pretty clear breakdown between there and Night's Black Agents. All right. Uh, I mean, when I think rules light, I think something like Wushu or Rhesus or like Fate Accelerated, which is very, very rules light. Fate? Yeah. Mm. Well, I we re- were doing I really Fate like core. Fate. Yeah. No, I've read through Fate. Now. Okay. Like, I have the core, yeah. so PDF. Well, I was talking Fate Accelerated, which is a lighter uh, lighter version of it. Oh, okay. So there's a streamlined one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. I was going to say that it's it's almost as rules heavy as this. Yeah, yeah. In fact, possibly more so yeah. um, in some ways. There but are some abstractions and some conceptual things you have to get your head around. Uh, I really should not have tried to read Fate for the first time while working overnights. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be a long trek back to understanding that game. Yeah. As a first-timer, though, I was impressed with the lack of condescension in the beginning of the book for explaining what an RPG is. For Fifth Ed? For Fifth Ed. Okay, yeah. Like, it explains it, but it doesn't talk down to you like you're a moron. Other systems that I've read recently oh, okay. spend so much time explaining what an RPG is... That I'm almost offended. Even Wait, if I was a first Do you want to name names or can you think of them? 
<laughs> I, I like these systems. Yeah. I just don't like the way that they present okay. at the beginning with what an RPG is and monsters. Right. Um, well, monsters is entirely written for kid, from a kid's point of view. So Right. And I really love that system, but reading through it, yeah. I wanted to smack myself in the head with the book. Yeah. Whereas this spends only a few pages each time yeah. explaining what the basics are. And I think that really helps with first-timers because they don't feel overwhelmed and yeah. they don't feel like you are now being mean. initiated into this and you must <laughs> the, take 40 the whacks of on the, the backside cult. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> thank you, sir. May I have another? And I realize that's probably a negative for a lot of hardcore players, maybe, yeah. but... Most of the hardcore players don't are even that. gloss that over section. that because yeah. they've read it so many times by now. Yeah, yeah like the. I mean, the thing is, you weren't here. Like, you haven't read some of the books from like the '90s and the '80s, especially. Oh my God. Like I, the things that I really love are the ones, like especially in the '80s and '90s, right after the Satanic Panic or during the Satanic Panic, where like they go out of their way, like this is not intended to foster a belief in the occult. The supernatural is not real. I, uh, yeah. Like so, uh, World of Darkness. Uh, actually, a lot of Palladium games. Um, <laughs> Cinnabar actually had that as well so uh yeah and for the record i did buy monsters for my brother-in-law for christmas so i do not hate it hate it i just didn't <laughs> no like no it's so like you, you I, just hated those pages yeah um, were many <laughs> so uh, monsters is written like i i when i wrote uh, road trip and Crooked, i chose a different style because like i could see how that turned off people i mean like for me i'm kind of like well i love the game anyway yeah. so like um, and I actually I, felt like Fourth Ed was a little bit more like that too. When I read through the player's handbook there, mm. and didn't want to finish that one, yeah. okay. I read it because I'm me and I read anything you put yeah. in front of me. Yeah. But the thing, like the Fourth Ed, the system balance is so tight that I kind of hope that they open it up more to a more OGL kind of license, so somebody else could take another crack at it, yeah. um, like a Pathfinder for Fourth Ed. I feel would be sort really of make a four point five. Yeah. 4. <laughs> 5, yeah. Um, like a, a streamlined, abbreviated yeah. version. I don't know if they really need any more uh, market fragmentation. Well, <laughs> well yeah, whatever. From I don't a, know. I'm just talking from like a, a business perspective. Wish list, really. like, yeah. Well, they're not making any money. Off, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Damn skippy. Um, um, d- yeah. Just a complete non sequitur here, though. I think it's worth uh, throwing in. From a production value standpoint, I think these are far and away... Oh, the they are best they're, Dungeons and Dragons books are very that have ever. The art, the the layout quality. I really like the mat on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just it's every book has about a half gloss, half mat. That yeah. I don't know. It just feels neat. I also like how uh, for the main adventures they're printing uh, so yeah. far the Horde uh, of the Dragon yeah, Queen. Yeah, Horde of the Dragon Queen, Rise they're of Tiamat. Right. They actually got away from. They used a. Um, I don't know. I don't know my paper qualities, but it's not a gloss finish. So if you want to go in and highlight or make notes or anything, oh, yeah. you're good. Is it a weighted? It's a good thick paper stock. Yeah, yeah. thick stock. It's yeah. thicker stock. It's also uh, got a, 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 a coarser grain to it. It's just not glossed. But like the art is fantastic. Um, I also I also think you know it's been a big thing recently. They did a great job of the art not being sexist. Mm. in this edition i mean yes there's maybe one cheese kind of halfway cheesecakey picture in maybe once a book Third it's really in, bad that, with it, but, in um, this one and also this one 
maybe complaining There's, about the succubus. That's about well, the only one I can think yeah, of. But that's literally the premise yeah. of the monster. That's the premise yeah. of the monster. So I, and they have I really the incubus like, right next to it, right? So yeah, like, there's, the there's incubus. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they like Which, it's. <laughs> Take your that, pick. Like it, they have something for everyone. So like, yeah, yeah. There, there's eye candy for everybody in yeah. that page. But. Uh, but but considering this is a hobby that's kind of been known to have a problem with depictions, especially of the female form. Yeah, you which know. is also what Anne really enjoyed. Yeah, because yeah. she saw the fourth head book and. Or that I don't really remember. Well, uh, it's been a dragon boobs, Wayne Reynolds art. I'm just blocking. Well, yeah, out. Wayne Reynolds. Yeah. There were there was some stuff in there. Nothing against you Wayne seen, Reynolds. Well, it was yeah. just the concentration of it. No. I just got tired of that style. The only Pathfinder is a lot worse about it than I mean. In well, terms, again, I've seen Wayne Reynolds art. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. pretty. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. But I mean, Pathfinder is like very. I mean, this is just talking about cheesecake, not in terms of like how they depict care that kind of stuff in games. Like Pathfinder is very open in terms of like they've had gay and transgender mm-hmm. characters yeah. too. So like, uh, we're not denigrating Pathfinder for that. It's just like they have a lot of cheesecake. In there, there's there's yeah. boobs in that. Art, yeah. That um, one thing I would like to mention. This is sort of an anecdote. Actually, talking about Third Ed. I can't remember who it was, but the art director for Third Ed's books talked about how uh, they specifically... You, you've read the story. I think I have. Uh, talking about how they wanted to make a more inclusive, more diverse cast for, like, the Iconics, which were, like, the default No, characters. this was for a Pathfinder book. Uh, no, it was Third Ed, because... Um, okay, I read it yeah, for yeah. a Pathfinder book. If uh, it turns out to be the same story. Yeah. Um, and so they would make directions like, let's have this, like, instead of just making everybody... Like, second edition... Everyone was white. Like all the all the characters huh. were basically white. Like you know, they actually did a good job in that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like in third ed, they were like, let's make this more diverse. Let's not just make it all generic white dudes and the occasional mm-hmm. like white woman. So like they say, let's make this guy you know uh, mm-hmm. African. Let's make this guy you know Middle Eastern. Blah 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 blah. Um, but like corporate pushed back and said no, let, no, if, because if they didn't specify, the artist always made them like Caucasian by default. So then it looked like you were tokening. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So like they, they, what happened, and they were overridden several times. The art director was so like they, there were a lot of white, you know, people there. But like what happened was, um, or no, there's like one character in particular, Tordak, the fighter. Yeah. And so he was originally meant to be like African or like uh, that not white. A lot. But he, the artist and the art director. Or the other artist made him. I can't remember the exact thing, but kept making him Caucasian. So to get revenge because they couldn't make him uh, uh, not white, they just had Torda being the scapegoat of the Iconics. Yes. So like anytime something bad happened to a player character in the artwork, it was Torda. He was the one petrified by uh-huh. the Gorgon. He was the one who fell through the trap. He was the one eaten by a dragon. He was like so Torda became like all right. We have to include a white dude. Let's have him eaten by let. Let's you know. Have his ass kicked. So, uh, anyways, so the story yeah. I thought you were going to tell, um, and I don't know where to track it down, but it's story. it's about uh, it's about some Pathfinder art where somebody turned in, yeah, uh, a girl who was, uh, you know, a high number on the Dolly Parton scale. Yeah, <laughs> and they sent feedback to him like, no, that's not really what we're looking for. Can you give us, you know, yeah, somebody a little a little less twiggy, but then boom, yeah, yeah. and it came back worse. <laughs> And so it essentially just became a vicious cycle yeah, yeah. until it got to the point where the artist was just like, all right, I don't know what you want. Yeah. Uh, I can't make these boobs any bigger. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was the problem you were talking about. No, no, no. About. This was just talking about diversity. So, okay. So Tordok the Fighter in Third Ed was uh, the whipping <laughs> boy uh, for a variety, for the, that reason. So anyway. Getting back yeah. to the production value, though, I yeah. feel like even though the books are excellent, the starter kit... 
oh, fell yeah? way low. I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it. Well, yeah. they've got that flimsy little paper booklet, uh-huh. and then the dice are crap. Really? They yeah, are. I like, for, I they like are my side. Like, would it like in terms of just like uh, I don't know? What do you mean by crap? Like uh, they feel very flimsy, oh, lightweight, okay, and sometimes sure. like the set that Aaron had, the one that his came with, uh-huh. um, the dice that came with that, the paint was flaking off. Huh, that's that's really bad. So yeah. the starter kit, they just sort of didn't do any of that. And then they invested a lot into the mm-hmm. books. I'm grateful for them doing the books, though they probably should have looked at the Hobbit picture a little bit closer. Um, oh my god! And the Blair's Hamlet. The half yeah. yeah, that is so creepy. Yeah, halflings, not hobbits, because hobbits, hobbits are is trademarked protected. by the Tolkien literature. Okay, okay, halfling, yeah. halfling. It looks like the. And if anybody's seen the horror movie Leprechaun, that's what it looks like pretty with much. a ukulele. Yep. So, <laughs> it's pretty yeah, bad. Did I, did I ever tell you that Katie told me that picture made her think of me? <laughs> Wow. Ow. Yeah. Ouch. That's just... Uh, Ow. But, yeah. So what are we talking... Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the books are all very good just in terms of artwork and presentation. Yeah. The layout, I feel, is okay. I feel like the layout probably could use a little improvement because, again, you have carrot like people flipping back on the books a lot. So yeah. there is that. Uh, and it actually told me to mention this, yeah. um, that she wishes they had had page reference numbers for mm. see this section. Oh, when yeah, they talk works. about something, they say see it under this section, but they don't give the page number, which would have made things a lot easier. Yeah. Now, I explained to her why they didn't do that, because when you're publishing something, it's sort of a pain in the ass to <laughs> know to what the page is actually going to I think but it, it takes time. Way, got, like, you could do that. There but are you've got to go back and kill so many C page double X's. Well, I, there are ways to like link it so that yeah. it dynamically changes and stuff like that. But like, yeah. but, and InDesign is very nice. But like, that would have been maybe a, a good way of solving that, especially yeah. with things like the monk to where probably the reprint page. I, I bet they're going to revise these over time. Well, so. Anne sort of generated one on her own. On a, <laughs> like I said, borderline. Uh, yeah. yeah, she yeah. care to share that with the RPB. <laughs> I'd be happy to host it. Uh, so. Uh, they're very good. Yeah, the the layout's about average. I mean, especially in terms of the RPG industry, it's it's very good. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that, I feel that like, was kind of the scale I was judging. Yeah. The, well, the thing is, like the be- I kind of wish they'd gone more like the level of Eclipse Face. Eclipse Face does do do that, and like yeah. especially, of course, they haven't released the PDFs yet. The PDFs of Eclipse Face are about the best because they have bookmarks. So and, many bookmarks. Yeah, it's just really easy to look up whatever you're looking for. Um, but why don't we talk a little bit more about like running the games? Um, since we already mentioned the encounter calculators, and that, the DMG, the Dungeon Master Guide, just came out uh, a little while ago, and that has the official encounter yeah. calculators. But you guys have been running before that, yeah. which which is superficially similar to what had come out uh, for free in the basic stuff that's available online for free in PDF. Um, yeah, and basically there was one little correction that actually uh, is going to make a big difference. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and talk about here. Um, if you are interested in playing or running 5th Ed, uh, you can direct yourself to enworld.org, where they're uh, collating a lot of player-made materials. Um, something I found, several versions of, that turned out to be really helpful was a spreadsheet encounter calculator where you can type in numbers and it'll tell you how badly you're going to kill the party. Um, Which is a nice summary for what you're going to do when you yeah. run a game. You can print it out. And yeah, just it's also it highly Ooh, printable. Wow. There are several out there. Uh, find the one that works for you. Um, 
to your particular point about the encounter calculator, one critical thing, uh, as I've read it, changed between the initial basic rules print and it going to print in the Dungeon Master's Guide, basically that being that they went from a categorical system that rounds down to a categorical system that rounds up. So it turned out that you're, uh, no, strike that, reverse it. Rounds, okay. rounds up instead of rounding down. So basically you were creating encounters that flagged as hard. Well, that's because they were at least one XP above medium. Whereas now, if it's hard, it's like it ceases being hard when you go one XP over hard. So, for instance, yeah. uh, the uh, last press the breath. There's a question: difference between underestimating and overestimating. Yeah. So, for instance, I used this calculator in rebuilding the encounters for Last Breath of Ashenport, which I'm assuming will come out eventually, Ross. Yes, but, uh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Not putting you on the spot or anything. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know our backlog. Yeah, it's true. At this point, it's but. true. Um, it was Halloween themed. What are you trying to do to me here? It's December. Okay, just no, remember, it's, it's fine. Yeah, right. the 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 running between recording the game and publishing it on the side is two years, which was a horrible lonely old house, which was a Call of Cthulhu one shot. I ran it. <laughs> In 2009, I posted in 2011. So wow, I feel privileged. And so it's yeah, quickly. Yeah, you should like yeah. You were fresh blood. Well, that and fifth head, like which is the new hotness, shiny new hotness. At any rate, especially the back half of that game, I had tuned to be pretty difficult for the party, and I was really, I mean. Well, not totally off, but... Yeah, yeah. not not off. I still feel like those encounters were somewhat challenging. Yeah, I mean, I went into negatives, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but not as challenging as I thought they would be. Uh, But that's... (laughs) Which is pretty much what it played out as. Yeah. Um, Well, also, actually, I feel I should mention to the listeners, because not everybody may know, an encounter calculator is basically (laughs) figuring out how dangerous a given group of monsters will be to a group of players. So, like, it's based on the XP or the challenge rating of a monster, yeah, versus the average level of the Mm -hmm. party. And so, um, this is a basic tool for the D. Like, the thing about in this is what was missing in Third Ed. No, Third Ed had encountered. Character. Yeah, and it was nigh unusable. Well, yeah, but because it was Third Ed, like right. Third Ed had a lot of lot of good problems. ideas, yeah. bad math. Um, <laughs> you actually, you know, that brings bad up bad math execution. Bad math. Well, also, I think also in design, actually, that brings up a really big point uh, or good point that I want to talk about, which is monster design. And I feel Fourth Ed was perfect in or near perfect because monster every like that page or that two pages the monster was everything you needed around monster mm-hmm. and Third Ed had the problem where like oh this is the iron devil it hears spell like ability spell like ability spell like ability Mm -hmm. and so you had to go to the player's handbook to find out what the monster could actually do and if it had 20 power 20 spell like abilities like what like there was a whole industry of like basically advice or adventures where like here are the tactics for this monster Mm -hmm. Um, and fourth ed solved that, but now fifth ed has sort of gone back to the way of third ed because there's spell like abilities and that kind yeah. of thing. Well, and I actually yeah. that goes back to my point before about having to flip through the book. But yeah. now it's two books. Yeah. And when you've got players that are wanting to use your player handbook while you're running the game, yeah. 
it's very difficult to use a spellcasting monster because they keep hogging your book. Yeah, because so, so you have to like literally write out in advance what it, what its tactics are, which, which is, is exactly th- what I've been doing. Yeah, it makes it easier for me anyway. It does, but like then you lose flexibility, and mm-hmm. because then if the players do something <laughs> unexpected, you're unless like, you're like me and you have a flowchart that you wrote out, but whatever. See, that's more time. <laughs> like, have we introduced you to Caleb? You yeah. should really meet Caleb. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Is this an insult? He, does, he likes the flowcharts, yeah. um, but. <laughs> It's a, it's a good thing. It's a good okay, thing. good. Uh, the thing is, again, like I feel like because th- they talked about the developers, Mike Merrill, so I go, mm-hmm. no, we'll keep the fourth ed, like because people love that, and yeah. I love the fourth ed monster design because it was like all you needed. It was self-contained. They kind nope. of backslided, and they ba- and they totally backslided, and so uh, I, mean, I, I don't think. Except for legendary creatures with the lair actions. The lair actions are really, yeah, really nice. Idea. It, I mean, it may push Which your, kind your of entry into two it, pages, yeah. but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. But flipping one page, not a big deal. Yeah, um, it's all linked. It's yeah. not It's not a thing, like um, going to a different book. or Yeah. Uh, Just, lair actions are a really cool, cool addition. So uh, okay. for those of you who aren't aware, lair actions are essentially a set of abilities a monster gets in it. A, boss type monster gets uh, in its lair <laughs> and they go on a separate initiative usually yeah right? usually initiative 20 yeah, yeah initiative 20 and these are not tied to the monster status right. so even if you stun lock the monster which is totally possible especially with the monk <coughs> and uh, you that's quite a cough you have there, yeah <laughs> You the layer action still go off, so no matter what, the monster is still a threat. You cannot mm-hmm. negate the layer action, which was the only thing that saved that poor green dragon. <laughs> also, it did, well, it, it for a little while, for a little longer. longer. Yeah, yeah. I'll admit to not having to interact with this too much yet, but I also um, think something in the legendary actions interacts with stun. Yeah, where I mean they're they're pretty close to being the same thing. Legendary actions, you have choice of what initiative count they go off on. But. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. That is a definite improvement. Yeah, I like that idea, and I like, and I definitely want to use it. Um, and I, I do like that there are like boss level monsters that do have legendary or layer actions. Yeah, legendary like, actions are tied with, to the monster, yeah. but like they go at a different. Although range. in the future, but I they, think... they have ones that don't have spell casting. Yeah, which yeah. is great because you can run them pretty contained. Um, so just to play devil's advocate, and then I'll let you get your point in. No, it's fine. Um, like. I, I keep doing that. I guess I just... I don't know. We're, we're very passionate fair about it. Fair and balanced. Yeah, we're, That's we're, what's happening we're, here. We're, we're uh, passionate. <laughs> both sides of the issue. Yeah. Um, first off, uh, now you would have to pick and choose, and somebody will do the research and totally murder me on this, but um, there are spells out there, like the basic spells are out there in the free PDFs, so, mm-hmm. you know, tablet. if you... Yeah, tablet or take the initiative to print a set yourself. Yeah. yeah, granted there's a little work there, but, you know, you're the DM. You signed up for it. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Or, you know, if that's not your thing and you do want to have them all available, um, they have done the spell cards thing. Which the production quality on the spell cards uh, from Gale Force 9 isn't the highest thing ever, but as far as working, they pretty well work. Yeah. I mean, I haven't used them yet, so yeah. I, I want to because yeah. it seems like it would be a lot simpler. But. Right. On, on the flip side, that does require money, and some people don't want to put tons of money into the role playing <laughs> habit. I, yeah. I, I don't understand personally. <laughs> but, uh, no, well, I, there's things like food that are just yeah, uh, yeah. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starving academic. A, <laughs> a superintendent salary can cover both food and cars. No, sorry, not a superintendent obscure Simpsons reference. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about 4th Ed. I think, like, 4th Ed <clears throat> did have that advantage in prep yeah. time, which does. 
because uh, you can make more assumptions about the player characters' abilities and what mm-hmm. the, and then you had the monsters all tidy and ready to go, and it's very easy to reskin monsters. Yes, uh, although it's is, no harder to reskin. It's monsters really easy to get reskin them in this. In okay. fact, and just make something completely up. Yeah. Okay. Even I, without the yeah, I've been with that. to blanch them for two minutes in a hot water bath, yeah. transfer them to ice, and then it just comes <laughs> right off. Oh, and just to mention my legendary actions, uh, to give an example, sorry, because, well, we, I want to talk about the adventure next. Uh, I've read The Rise of Tiamat, which okay. uh, they actually give Tiamat as a in-boss weird, um, and she of, is yeah. a multi-headed dragon, and so each head is a leg- has a legendary action, so the the uh, white dragon head can do this, and the mm-hmm. red dragon head can do that, and so there's that's an example of legendary action. Mm-hmm. They're tied to her, yeah. uh, but like, you, and you can do a- a- actions to disable particular heads and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, we're on the flip side, yeah. layer actions are like, for instance, the Aboleth uh, can exert control over water yeah. as a layer action so to try to the, yeah. suck you all into the water. Which is actually really cool. Yeah. But now, on the monsters, though, for a first-time DM, mm. the, what I really like about this monster manual, and it may have been the case in earlier editions well, as well, is there's so much frontis matter mm-hmm. on a lot of the ma- monsters that it gives you a good springboard of how they're going to behave if you want to have them interact, things like that. They didn't do that in the starter set, which I think is Aaron's problem with the green dragon, so he didn't know what to do with that green dragon. Yeah, and this is a different Aaron for the listeners. Yeah, yeah this is another yeah, Aaron, which are Aaron. Um, so <laughs> the... Um, Actually, every Monster Manual. Uh, actually, all the way back to Second Edition. Although f- the first Monster yeah. Manual for Fourth Ed was a little, it was a little they improved on the ground. They, yeah. they improved. Yeah, it. Monster, I, I think the thing is, they, Monster they, presentation in general. Fourth and Fifth Ed have also I think, a lot of technology. Had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the Fourth and Fifth Ed had sort of rushed oh. productions uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the core books. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of the some of the problem. Like the starter set, I think was more like they definitely rushed, rushed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. The uh, they like the second edition um, was really good about that. Yeah. Third ed was actually not, uh, well, but they'd have history, so, ecology, yeah. like mm-hmm. history of the monster, ecology of the creature, which is like how it interacts with its local environment, um, which is like the layer stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Newer. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's actually been in DN- baked into D anD D for quite some time. But I think fifth ed. What I really like about the fifth ed monster manual is how it has like the little handwritten notes about like what. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I like that little bit of color. Like that's uh-huh. a really it's cool. Cheap, it's cheeky. It gives you some ideas of ways that you could spin it yeah, to yeah. make uh-huh. it more entertaining for your players. Yeah. yeah. Good job rip- ripping off the dungeon or uh, Dresden Files. Some days I can talk. Today's not one of them. Uh, but yeah, really, I was thinking more Spiderwood Chronicles because that's uh, what it looked like. Well, the, the Dresden, uh, Files, Dresden are... Files RPG is heavily oh, okay. annotated by in-universe characters. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, no, it, it's it definitely uh, yeah. stands out. Um, um, but uh, yeah, why don't we talk a little about these adventures? Uh, okay. So there's yep. Horde of the Dragon Queen, which mm-hmm. I have not read. You okay. have though, and yeah, you've run I've it. Run, I've run the first four adventures and read through five and six yep. out of eight. Um, yeah. <laughs> As self-contained units, they're not uniformly horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard. Honestly, if you're really interested in reading good criticism out of, of Horde of the Dragon Queen, there's a lot of it out there. Uh, but mostly, it's a problem of just trying to serve multiple masters. It's pretty obvious that it was put together to try to run the D&D Encounters program on at friendly local gaming stores. Uh, so each episode is pretty unconnected to the next. 
They're pretty obviously set up in a, all right, you're going to have sort of that metagame buy-in from your players of you basically tell them what they're going to go be doing, and they go and do it. Um, yeah. It's maybe not the most railroady thing ever, but it's kind I of hard to set a lot of them up. Yeah, oh, yeah I've read the starter, starter set. set pretty real. Yeah. This, um, have you read the starter set adventure? <laughs> yes! <laughs> I know uh, the starter set very more, well. More on that to come I, later yeah, in the anecdotes. That's... Okay. Burn. All right. Yeah. No, the starter set is very generic. I actually was going to run D and D using the starter set, but then I read the adventure. And I'm like, Ugh. big old pile of nope. It was just so like you're you're traveling with the, it. Starts out with you're traveling with a caravan and then goblins attack. It's like that is like archetypally like outside of an old man in a in a tavern gives you a map to and tells you to go on a quest. Like that. That's right up there with that. It's hard just, just like Peter Jackson's, Jackson's Hobbit movies. There are far too many goblins in this and orcs in this edition. So. <laughs> The amount of goblins in this quest is too damn hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did there. I saw it. Yeah. Uh, so I can definitely see that. One thing is also about, I think they're trying to recreate the original sort of scenarios, module structure of D&D. Because back in the day, in the first and second edition, I never participated in these tournaments. But, like, they would create modules that are now very famous that would be used for tournaments. And, like, D&D was a competitive thing. Like, you would have a group of players go through, a tur- like, a four-hour adventure and then they would be scored at the end did they save the princess did they get the treasure did mm-hmm. they kill the dragon how many made it out and then there would be winners and losers yeah and so um you have all like <laughs> tomb of horrors uh uh <laughs> that, mountain yeah yeah other neat stuff uh so i think they're trying to get back to that to yeah. have that sort of sh- and the thing is that created a shared experience everyone like, oh, how do you deal with the frost giants in this uh encounter and so I think they're trying to come back to that, and that's a very admirable goal. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's yeah, it's definitely kind of a rush sort of. <laughs> well, it's it's hard. I mean, you can. It's I a think very you can read hard. The history and the thing is, I think there would be Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah. To um, find out how how hard that can be. There, I think they're just trying. I think they're being conservative. It's a choice to make it again yeah. the broadest common denominator. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I feel like I may have been a little unkind, so I'll, I'll recant just a little bit yeah. as we have been progressing through the horde. Adventure. I think it's getting consistently better. Yeah. Um, I'm actually legitimately interested in. Are you improvising more, or are you just uh, are adapt like customizing? It's just becoming. It it hangs together a little better. Um, It just there was a lot of kind of but thou must kind of stuff in the beginning, and hard to really. I, I realize, Sean, it may have been hard to see. No, it's hard to see, and from a player's perspective, I've actually enjoyed it a lot, but I can see what you mean by they're sort of isolated, Uh and the knots aren't tying together quite the way they should, especially the thing with the edder caps was sort of just random. Well, that that actually was random. Yeah. Uh, It was just, you're traveling with a caravan. Here are things that happen while you travel with the caravan. Okay, so that was intended. Okay, so... From I mean, a that, that perspective, was, it doesn't seem that bad, but that could right. just be. It was. GM, it was so. kind of. It was kind of a couple of sessions of let's do some picaresque stuff instead of you know adhering necessarily to the plot. Which, especially if you were introducing new people, I could see that being interesting because there is sort of you know a history of you know. D&D campaigns being a series of things that happen. Yeah, I guess murder hobos are pretty picaresque, <laughs> if you think about it. So, yeah. Uh, that's a good way to put it. But that's actually the point at which I felt like it started to improve. Before that, there was just a whole lot of... Well, this is the same thing I ran into converting Last Breaths. 
Uh, when you've gotten used that was to originally hang- a third ed or a path uh, third ed. Third ed. Okay. When you've gotten used to hanging around with a group that does a lot of investigative gaming, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden you you're like trying to fill in all these gaps in typical huh. you know fantasy now i know what you're talking about especially when we were going after the eggs and you were like i am so glad you guys got back on track because that would have been a lot of improv for me yeah uh, i mean basically that worked out because i just baited you into it with money but like there's there's sort of a lot of assumption in the early parts of the adventure that you know, to pick on to pick on our PPR, Aaron, that mm-hmm. people are going to do things, you know, for the goods, you know, be, because they should, because obviously Dragon Cult evil. So that will do huge problem in the starter set. Yeah, especially yeah. when you have idiots that are playing as evil or neutral characters, which never ever allow that as a GM. Well, <laughs> so. I mean, like it, it's definitely more challenging. Like, yeah, um, you can, don't the, run standard scenarios. Yeah, don't run standard scenarios with uh, non-standard characters. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good thing. <laughs> more uh, to come to the end. If you customize the whole thing to be like evil characters, and no, uh, yeah, at which point, why did but, you buy yeah. the starter box to do that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's very yes. much designed to deliver a very particular, very mm-hmm. standardized kind of experience. Um, they've already released the second or the conclusion yeah. of this uh, story arc, quite the rise of Tiamat, which I've, I already mentioned briefly. And so, spoiler alert: it's about provi- preventing or stopping the rise of Tiamat, or not, or not. Uh, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> And I've read this adventure. Now, I haven't read Horde of the Dragon Queen, but I mean, I didn't feel lost because it's a pretty simple plot. Yeah. But the Rise of Team Man is prevented as a framework. Like, mm-hmm. the player's overall goal is to stop this evil cult uh, from do- summoning Tiamat to be uh, her bad self uh, on on uh, Torel, the, the Forgotten yeah. Realms. Planet. Spoilers for sure. I, I have a question, though, for yeah. both of you. So sure. if you're more experienced, is it possible that they did a little bit slightly more railroady in the first book to sort of ease people into the broader framework? Um, I think really what it comes down to is they hired to be... out design of this, and given that there are some loose ends actually in the rules, uh, I think the poor guys at Kobold Press had to get the first book out the door. Gotcha. And probably they had to turn in the adventures in sequential order, which is why I'm seeing them getting better as we get later into the episodes. I'm just trying to come up with scenarios that might be a little bit more favorable for these poor guys. Also, they're trying to, you know, set it up to be a thing that you can do with whoever shows up at metagames on Wednesday night. Or your friendly local game store, yeah. Well, yeah. I, um, insert here. Yes. Uh, well, one thing is also, I think, um, thematically, the Rise of Team Man is also supposed to highlight uh, the difference between like low-level characters and mid-level mm-hmm. characters. Because this is designed from levels 8 to 15. So huh. We'll uh, be way past that by the time we get to it. Nope. You're perfectly on track. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, by the time you get to level eight, you have access. Like you're more, uh, more competent, more powerful mm-hmm. character. You get those level setting. three spells. Uh, you get the level three spells, and you're expected to have more. You're no longer the little peons taking orders from Sir What's His Face at the go local kill castle. These rats. You're now equal to Sir What's His Face, so you can be like, I'm gonna go do whatever, you know, or maybe I'll help you, maybe I won't, you know. Uh, <laughs> I really so. like how in the back there's pretty much a breakdown chart of here are all the factions, yeah. here are the things you can do to piss off or make friends with these factions. Yeah. I actually liked that component when that was introduced into the Horde of the Dragon thing <laughs> with our recruiting. <laughs> Did you add that, or was no. that actually in the book? 
sorry, which point I the, think, where we were all joining these like secret fraternities on our oh, way out of town before we left. That's totes in there. Because I actually enjoyed that. Okay, I felt like it was a little weak as presented. Like, the concept is fun, but... No, the concept is fun, and it was just loose enough to where we could interpret it in some fun ways. Yeah. Which... More to to come. Yeah. (laughs) But I think... Yeah, but it all boils down to this one climactic struggle against the cult, and everything you do in the entire campaign leading up to that point is accounted for yep. or at least within this adventure I, I'm not I haven't I didn't pay particular attention to links to Horde of the Dragon Queen there's a few there's a few uh, yeah I so mean, mo- mostly the big climactic events yeah. the big climactic story beats of Horde of the Dragon Queen can matter to factions in Rise of Tiamat so yeah so yeah uh, so everything comes to a point and so mm-hmm. the, it's it, that's very good campaign design because you want the players to feel like this Stuff meaning there's a Actually, yeah, the plot actually matters. The progressing, the narrative is con- continuing. It's not just a series of disconnected episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, that's a success. Uh, and in terms of the balance, obviously I have no idea because I haven't, you know, Me run either. anything. But, yeah. like, Tiamat is pretty hoss. Yeah. Uh, so. if, if you've got an hour and a half to kill, um, Mike Shea from Sly Flourish and I think some guys from the Tome Show yeah. uh, actually did a virtual tabletop thing where they do a Tiamat takedown. Five okay. level 20s versus Tiamat. Well, I mean, the character's only supposed to be, like, level 15 when they're... Right, but, but still, they did five level 20s versus right, Tiamat. Fair, fair because enough. the idea of, of Rise of Tiamat, actually, I'm pretty sure, isn't that you should end up fighting Tiamat. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure they explicitly call out, if that happens, you're going to have a bad day. Well, the way... No, well, from what I remember, it's... Um, the idea is well, you have to... Like, yeah. you don't have to, but, like, if you do fight Tiamat... You can certain, call in the factions, yeah. Yeah, there well, certain actions will have an effect yeah. on Tiamat, and so... Where this was just five level 20s versus Tiamat in a yeah, big-ass yeah. room. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole section on weakening the Dragon Queen. Mm-hmm. So the number of actions that you take ahead of yeah. time... Uh, will uh, reduce her. So uh, and they like it's. Per- what it's was that again, per- Ross? <laughs> <laughs> well, each each action will have like it will do this and this and this. So What's you that three, you say? Yeah. Things we do might have effects later. Yeah. Weird. Notes. What exactly do we do to weaken the drift? Uh, action to one, two, three, them. and four and five. You do <laughs> you do the thing, and then you do the other thing. I don't know why that sounds specific uh, enough. Uh, I put the plot coins in the plot dispenser, yes. and have plot comes out. Um, so actions have consequences, which is actually Weird. yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's. A, um, I know this is coming in the comments of the first five fifth ed game we got, which Distance of Darlene was talking about, sort of the murder hoboism of it, uh, and uh, it wasn't would, too bad. But I like, would like to officially apologize to Sean oh, for having my character run down the hallway and force him to flip to the next page in the monster manual to find out what was going to eat me <laughs> because the Grells were not supposed to be right next to the Gricks. Yeah. In fact, the Grells were not supposed to be there. Chaining, at all. chaining those encounters. Uh, <laughs> Now the thing is, um, and this isn't not specific to Fifth Ed, is that there is this kind of idea that you we go into dungeons, kill their kill their kill monsters and take their stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, for a lot of people that's fine, but you know, obviously as you mentioned, like in the RPPR group and a lot of other groups, they kind of look mm-hmm. for alternate solutions. And um, and to be honest, I don't really see just from reading the rules and just playing it a few times, I don't see much in the way of difference between how fourth ed and fifth ed handle that. Mm-hmm. I mean skill checks and that's about it. Sure. Um, actually, with this Dungeon Master's Guide here in front of me, they have included a system, if you like to use it, for morale rules. Okay. Uh, as far as, like, you know, breaking a group and all that. 
There is some more interaction-y stuff in there. I've read yeah. it over. I'm not sure entirely how I feel about it. Might recreate the diplomacy monster problem from third, but it might not. Yeah, that, that's um, one thing is, uh, yeah, so Sean, the diplomacy monster thing is third had had skill checks for, like, everything. And, like, they had diff- uh, difficulty numbers. But, yeah. like, turning people from, like, neutral to friendly would be, like, a DC 15 or blah, 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 blah. But you could go from fanatically hating you to fanatically loving you. And that would be, like, DC 100 or DC 50 or something. So, and you could pull it off. And you could pull it off Either with a very low. Either going to die. But <laughs> no, like, you could you could actually pull with a very low level character with the right. Because third had so much material out there, you could make very... Very broken characters. So, and they even included a thing called the Epic Level Handbook, which allowed you to make skill checks at such if you can make like a DC 100 climbing check, you could climb on a cloud, you know, and like a uh, climb up a waterfall or run up a waterfall. And uh, you could make or a bluff check, you could make a DC 100 like, I am the moon. And then you make <laughs> he sure you're the moon. Yeah, make sure your friend is there to tell, to give you a plus two assist bonus for, you know, he is the moon. And like, he is the moon. I am wall. Yeah. <laughs> I am wall. I am not the guy you're chasing. Okay. You're, you're, so you could you could break the char- the game yeah. very easily with those kind of characters. Yeah. Uh, so, but like to the specifics there, I think while the framework may look the same, uh, the benefits here, at least in the early days of Fifth Ed, who knows how things might get. Although I'll speak to that point in a moment. Yeah. Um, I think for one, given that the difficulty of things falls under the whole bounded accuracy yeah. curve that like you're not going to be able to pull off those numerically fantastic uh successes well, you can't stack as, yeah, right. as you could uh so you actually can do things with difficulty classes that and a little bit of the language has changed in how they talk about skills in that skills should only be used when there's a possibility of success yeah not oh he hates me roll nope no longer it's like yeah. you know I, I guess maybe it kind of runs in a DM fiat kind of direction but which is kind of how fourth ed did it yeah, yeah. So. but like you can say no he hates you and he hates you there yeah. is nothing you can say that's going to keep him from hating you right um, but at the same time I, though I feel like the murder hoboism critique is entirely who you're playing with yeah like, there are people that are just complete and total asses that are going to murder hobo everything. Sean's met several of them. I have met several of them. And occasionally, I will do this myself just to piss Bill off. But More on that in the anecdotes. But I do it sort of just for giggles. Shits and grins. Occasionally. Not all the time. More than he thinks. But it really depends on the dynamic you have with the DM yeah. and the players and the situation. Dissonance of Darlin. It is sort of supposed to be like a mock Weimar Republic, so there are paramilitary groups. There's going to be some violence, yeah. period. But I feel like the players actually did a really good job yeah. in not being total murder hobos yeah. and trying to do it in more of a procedural fashion, which I thought was very impressive and what I was hoping for. Yeah. I was not hoping for the running down the, the cavern with well, the Well, you know, the choices grills. were made. Sometimes I do things like that just to piss you off. Sean. I know, Bill. I learned it from you, all right? Uh-huh. I learned it from watching you. For once, I'm not the monster. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just Bill and I have this very... Yeah. Interesting dynamic. <laughs> that really only pops up at role-playing games. Um, I don't know. Any game, really. <laughs> I'd like to... I don't know. Yeah, it might be. Um, 
But I think it's, it's all I mean, in good I mean, fun. You, it's a good yeah. It depends on the playing group. And I think the thing is, uh, what I was bring, trying to tie this in consequences, which is, <laughs> I think the thing is, if you're having a game where there's murder hob- hoboism rampant and, and no, but and you don't like it for some reason, and I completely you, agree with what you're about to say. Yeah, you need you, to be consequences. Consequences of your actions. Now, uh, my example would be, and I mentioned this in the comments of the Dissonance of Darling, which is I've recently been playing a video game called Dishonored, and Dishonored <laughs> is sort of a stealth action game where you're an assassin. And you're trying to take out these targets, but it presents you with a non-lethal option, which is harder to do than just going up and shanking the dude. Uh, but uh, you you can shoot, but your actions will affect the environment in your end. If you're in a low chaos, and they call this chaos, so if you're in a low chaos environment, there will be fewer guards, they'll be more orderly, and but if it's a high chaos, there'll be more soldiers, there'll be more. Uh, the society becomes more unstable, uh, and your you, so your actions have a consequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of uh, what you could if you're if you're a DM and you're trying to run a fifth ed game uh, and you're having problems with players just blatantly killing people and just doing really stupid things like enforce those consequences. I mean that's that like yeah, you guys actually successfully avoided some really yeah. horrid consequences yeah, I, that I had planned for murder. I'm sure we just yeah made our way through the streets of Darlin murdering things left and right, things would have gone a lot worse instead of, you know, luring military heroes into into uh, alleyways to Three crack them on the head. Militant communist kobolds. <laughs> so I really think you need to keep notes on that and use it again later because I, oh, I, 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 can I just, sign up? Yeah, like, that I sounds am awesome. Interested in your ideas and would like to subscribe to you. I'm going to join that one. Be a militant I, communist kobold. Can we like run that game? Yeah. I actually does, I actually have that setting done already because I had planned that as just a piece of a possible campaign. So oh, if you with, really want militant kobolds, uh, you can have the militant communist kobolds. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Your mom's like, so classless, she could be a Marxist utopia. Oh. Nice. But the... <laughs> <laughs> Derailed. The issue of consequences is a really important factor to consider, especially if you're running the starter set. Because I've been... But more on that in the anecdote. <laughs> I don't know, because right now is actually probably a good time to okay, bring it up. It. Because I was co- I'm, I've been helping a friend code DM the starter set. The aforementioned which, non-RPPR, Aaron. Which... Was probably a mistake to begin with because, well, reasons. Start with his mistake, which was playing an RPG with eight people at his table. That was the first mistake. Uh, yeah, that's the second something only experienced GM should handle. And, and then not. Well, I, I mean, I've done that, but like the rules like game, yeah. quick actions. It's second mistake, allowing evil and completely t- morally depraved characters to exist. Evil characters, morally depraved players. So this is like <laughs> true. Fair point. I'll give you that. Shades of meaning. The third stereotypical mistake, I kill everybody to take. Third mistake. There is a fine line between standing back and letting your players do what they need to to have fun and just letting them get away with everything. Mm. And it's this issue that falls under the consequences discussion because they just started murdering everyone and with the starter set Unless you start improvising, there are no real consequences yeah. for that. Always be improvising. Yeah. So you really need to come up with interesting solutions to the murder hoboism problem. We had characters that were killing each other. I wanted to come up with an interesting solution so Aaron didn't have to deal with this, even though he was getting giggles out of it and thought it was fun. I found it irritating. So I brought up the issue to Bill. 
Bill came up with a very fun solution that we can talk about in the anecdotes. Okay. Solution. Yeah. okay. Yeah. But it is a perfect example of a consequence for your actions, <laughs> especially if you are dealing with rat bastards that kill Barthen in the store. So if the, you read the shopkeeper, him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're killing Barthen. They're killing people that are supposed to give them directions. They kill, they burn a map to Wave Echo Cavern instead of reading it first. They were just complete and total. Yeah. The map doesn't have, like, doesn't actually possess treasure that they can take from it by killing it. Yeah. That's a very interesting choice. They made a lot of weird choices. All right. So I mean, that, that's kind of players playing it like it was, uh, I mean, GTA or yeah. a board game. No, I think they're playing it like they're playing WoW. Yeah. Well, that's so pretty kind much of like it. GTA. Yeah, but in WoW, there are consequences for your actions. If you attack someone in the city, the guards will come up and wreck your shit, and that you'll be well, killed very easily because the they're thing. invincible guards. There were consequences that could have happened, as in total party kills. Yeah. That Aaron just granted reprieves. Uh, I would not have. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. I would have just. Let them get eaten. He yeah. put on his Monty Hall hat and they all played Let's Make a Deal. Yeah, that, that's, um, I mean, that... It wasn't even a deal. It was well, just sort it's, of a... It's a it's I would have been fine reference. with the deal because I mean, the deal you could at least role play and make yeah. interesting. Sorry, Mo- and, Monty and Hall was... This, and this kind of problem has actually been around from d since the very beginning, which is just players, like, uh, hacking and slashing everything in sight. And that, including that, themselves. Including themselves. <laughs> especially <laughs> themselves. Uh, and uh, I'm, did they ever use oh, it's what my character would do as an excuse yes and yeah. I hate grow yes. I hate grow I hate grow <laughs> welcome so, to the brotherhood yeah <laughs> so that's a I mean that's just a bad sign of the game like that, that I mean that's just a bad sign in general that's something specific to Fifth Head and that and that's a whole different episode in how to deal well with that. but like, I feel I think like once you've actually had previously yeah, we, <laughs> it's, it's a popular topic it's, it's, it's all of problem. them with the exception of one, are beginning starting players. Yeah. And I feel like the starter set could have had a little bit more to help alleviate that problem. Yeah. Or at least outline, don't be the dicks DMG, to each I other, be awesome to one another instead. Well, okay, but I guess they're assuming that people who, you know, are going to play D&D are probably kind of nerdy to begin with and are probably aware of either John Gabriel's greater internet fuckwad theory or Will Wheaton. Um, Both of which are great well, advice. Doesn't they start to just have pre-made characters that are all supposed to be, be like dick. generic hero type characters? Yes. Did they make characters from the player's handbook and then use the starter set? They made characters from the information that had been sent out yeah. for how you generate a character. Yeah. So the basic, <laughs> the very yeah. basics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's not specific to Fifth Ed, but yeah, that is that is problematic, and that's very common. Like I've heard a ton of stories similar. Too many players, players being chaotic. Well, and playing it like it's Hotline Miami. Aaron is uh, a first time DM. Yeah, yeah. And so first time he DM, wasn't yeah. as comfortable improvising, and the starter yeah. set didn't really provide. No, him it's the definitely ability. not enough for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's lots of options for the players to choose from, but there's not a lot of options for the game runner but i mean on the other hand the starter set is a very limited focus thing and they they, it's just it's yeah a bad it's a bad combination but there's there are solutions i I gotta say that's probably got to be a really unforgiving thing to try to design to be the designer that has lived with this game for so long yeah and then to you know to to ape the martial arts metaphor to put on your beginner's belt right and figure out what a person needs to yeah it's one thing to design but it's also trying to Anticipate what every single trying to be yeah, everything to all saying. things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no easy solution for it. Is yeah. 
Um, but one other thing is just in general mm-hmm. um, talking about this uh, for DMs uh, about murder hoboism is uh, coming with alternative solutions aside from like having if the players get to murder hoboey uh, to you know have realistic or logical consequences lo- consistent with the setting sometimes uh, logic is not enough well consistent, <laughs> like, like the well, goal isn't necessarily logic but internally consistent with the setting yeah if you say have a setting where there's magical crystals that punish lawbreakers but then the players kill an innocent person and the magical crystals do nothing well that's not consistent um, but what I also like going back to dishonored having alternate solutions like going sort of more like we mentioned earlier with the fourth uh, the new world mm-hmm. which is like I don't want to fight let's talk to the monsters and reason with them yeah. and I think some of that was because a lot of my players were very low system mastery right. and they just didn't want to fight because Tom <laughs> didn't want to learn the rules for fighters huh. uh, whereas and not yeah. talk let's kill yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. except not yeah. murder hobo just but if you prevent, present those, like having a game of fifth ed D and D where there's no fighting because the players just decide not to fight, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, for some, for most groups, some players and GMs would view that as a failed evening because there was well. No, but at the same time, yeah. like I feel sometimes you can reach an impasse in certain RPGs with the talking, and yeah, there are certain systems to where you don't really have any other options once you hit that impasse with words. Whereas Dungeons and Dragons, you hit the impasse with words, you hit it with your hammer. Right. It's sort of like you have negotiations. There, you definitely have to limit negotiations so you don't have players yeah. talking in loops forever. Mm-hmm. Um, like what I would do and what I did was like, all right, you make your offer. That, you know, let's cut off and roll diplomacy. If you succeed, he goes along with it. If you fail, mm-hmm. it's a very binary thing. Yeah. It's a very simple thing, but it can bypass a fight. Mm-hmm. Or, like, even if you fail, he just says no, but he won't attack you unless you attack him. If you critically fail, then yes, he just is enraged. He is offended by your offer. Yes. Once to um, drink your blood. The end. So, um, that as a GM, I would always try and set up or be welcome uh, or welcome uh, alternative solutions. So like in the dissidents of Darlin, if there were more ways uh, to get clues other than going down the, the, the stairways and fighting. There were plenty there of were, other ways. Yeah. There, there were, were so many ways. Yeah. I just chose for everyone. There were yeah. 20 different scenarios that I had detailed explicitly and yeah. Bill chose the one that I hadn't. Okay. Well, that was just... Yeah. I, I, that know, was there for people who wanted to kill was, things. It so. was your first game. I wanted to give you a taste of what it was really like to DM a role-playing game. <laughs> no, and I actually thought it was fine. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. I yeah. had a lot of fun with it. And I thought that everybody did a great job. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, so um, I think, yeah, there, there, there's going to be fighting in, in, in most games, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but... Um, yeah, just trying to make the make focus on making the setting consistent, and yeah. I think he did that. And um, some I, people don't like, and I know for RIPs, there's like the difference between playing a game and listening to it, which is mentioned in the mm-hmm. comments and that, which is sort of an unsolvable problem. Like, yeah, which is well, yeah, even I, in eclipse phase and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that can happen. So, like to that point, I mean, I probably should have just written a response on the on the comments on the. Yeah, yeah, episode, but, you know, whatever. Writing, but yeah, yeah. talking, much easier. Um, I think that is going to be a disconnect, you know, any fifth ed that comes up. So, sorry, listeners that hate it, but, like, um, the thing about D&D combat is, like, you can actually make it for your players at the table much more engaging by kind of doing that yes. whole visuals thing, mm-hmm. you know, which makes for some really dull audio because I move here. I swing my sword, but, like, You've got, you know, yeah. the whole minis and maps thing laid out. 
you know, having played and GM'd and gotten feedback from yeah. other people, that can be really, really engaging. And for newbies like Melissa and Anne, yep. both yeah. repeatedly <clears throat> love the visuals. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. And, like, this isn't even, I wouldn't even couch this as a criticism, criticism, but just more as an observation, like the amount of kind of investigating games yeah, yeah. or horror games or a combination of the two that, you know, the RPPR group ends up doing has attracted a certain set of yeah. kind of very verbal, very literarily motivated yeah, yeah. people where, like, uh, I think, yeah, for Anne, for Melissa, for Renee, who I think was in Dissidence, but also yeah, plays in was. my game, like... I think maybe sometimes a thing we don't end up seeing is the part of the hobby that is sort of the visual kind of especially maybe even arts and craftsy. Try not to say explicitly here female uh, because that'd be generalizing and would be incorrect. Uh, <laughs> part of the you know potential player base that like can really dig into that part. So I, yeah. I'm sorry it makes for bad audio, everybody. Like genuinely, that's not sarcasm. Oh, yeah. But I'm playing. You know, we're playing to our players. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, that's what we're, we're always like. Just as an RPPR setting, we always try. I always try around games that are fun, primarily for the people. Yeah, listening or playing the game, and like <laughs> it just happens that the listeners really like it. So, yeah. uh, but that's a minor side, and that's sort of unique to us, and not really applicable to a lot of games. Yeah, that's not a general. But thing. I was um, just, yeah. yeah. Anyways, the other thing, uh, before we go on to Annika, I think we've covered a lot of the broad stuff. I mean, we can talk a lot about of ground that. covered, yeah. yeah. Um, what are you guys looking forward to in Fifth Head? Like, in terms of, like, what kind of things would you like to see from Wizards uh, next in terms of supplements? Like, do you think anything's missing? Uh, obviously, the DMG has just come out. You guys have a great chance. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm about halfway through it. Okay. So. Uh, and I don't own it yet, so... Yeah. So, uh, and I've read through some of it, but again, I haven't run any adventures yet. So I haven't had a uh, much. I mean, I do just to give you the though. I do plan to run one fifth ed game that is literally you're level one. You find a deck of many things and okay. you're stuck in a dungeon. You can't get out yet. So. I'm fascinated by that idea. I'm going to make an expanded yeah. deck of many things with okay. a lot of cut. Like it's going to be full fifty two cards. Okay, uh, cool, good. So. Um, actually, uh, the Pathfinder one doesn't really have a lot of system aesthetic stuff and has a lot more cards. Oh yeah, than what's presented there's, here. There's so, third party ones too. So I'm, yeah, yeah I'm well, probably that's out there on yeah on a wiki somewhere, pretty accessible. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, <sighs> but, but what what do you, I mean? Is anything missing? Do you want to, uh, or would you, what kind of new material would you like to see? More adventures, setting material, alternate settings, more classes. Uh, Maybe this is just because I've I, sh- yeah. been listening to Bill and there's nothing more creative than your own mind and the earth yeah, yeah. and everything and history that I don't really need the campaign settings. I can come up with stuff on my own. Yeah. That's so the advantage of being a PhD candidate <laughs> in history. Yeah. Yeah. It works so, with Kenneth Hyde. Kenneth Hyde just takes true. from history and it bleeds weird. Uh, but... There's, there's plenty of mat- some of the supplemental material that you need for campaign settings and creative generation is not necessarily going to come from the publisher of Dungeons and Dragons. So be willing to look outside the box. Okay. But as far as what I would like to see more of is, frankly, a few more monsters with different layer actions. Because the layer actions, there's only a few monsters right, yeah. that really yeah. do that. Yeah. And I feel like that's some of the best work that they've done in the Monster Manual, and I would like to see more of Maybe that. Maybe just like 20 layer monster layers with yeah. their mon- unique monsters in them. Mm-hmm. So, so when they create new monsters, 
and have the Monster Manual 2 or whatever, more of those lair action legendary yeah. creatures would be nice. Which I think you would probably see coming because I've seen some you know tabulation and analysis. Uh, when you dig through the Monster Manual, it's heavily weighted to the low end of the experience challenge rating character stuff spectrum. So there's definitely more kind of design space left above level 5 than below, say, to draw a random line in the sand. So I would expect with higher level monsters to see more of that kind At of stuff. At the same stuff. time, though, I'm not going to be upset if they don't do it, because yeah. frankly, I can reskin something basic and give it a lair action. Yeah. So, and do yeah. that. Yeah. But it would require more time and more work. Yeah, things yeah. to save you prep time mm-hmm. are always nice. Um... Strangely enough, what I'm actually looking forward to is kind of the restraint I'm seeing coming from the, like, rate of publication of material mm-hmm. in this edition. Like, they're not already announcing a bunch of new stuff in the pipe, and that kind of excites me because, my gosh, like, both 3rd and 4th edition were Book of the Month clubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it got tiring and definitely expensive after a while. I mean... For for someone with kind of a completionist bent like me, yeah, you end up going and buying all this oh, stuff because okay, yeah. it's so pretty and so neat. But you never get to use most of it. That's fair. So the fact that you know there's actually like Tyranny of Dragons, the whole Horde and and Rise combo is done now. Mm. It's been published and it's done. And, you know, they're not really going to push a lot more adventures out the door until next year when they're going to do something Elemental Evil related. Yeah. And there'll be, you know, a couple of adventure books and a player option book for that. I'm I'm actually really loving that pace. Uh, it's going to give us a chance to sort of explore what's out there right now. Um, the Dungeon Master's Guide is full of a lot of really great options as far as optional things you can plug into your game, yeah. you know, to make D&D do all those kind of weird different things it can do. Uh, they have said that in the first of the year there's a strong chance that there'll be kind of a Unearthed Arcana-like column going on on their website to explore more of the rules modules for, like, mass battles and stuff that they just couldn't, you know, constraints of this book is already 320 pages. Yeah, and uh, Anne actually wants that because Anne wants, like, a huge battle mass at battles. some point. That was, uh, that was one of the things I got yeah. to bring up is actually... Um, Give, give us some rain uh, type rules. Yeah. Uh, uh, rain being a one roll engine game with fantasy rules for my organization. Okay, I, yeah. I know it. So, uh, <laughs> well, also for listeners, uh, I'm sure probably you're mostly familiar with it. But uh, rules for uh, mass combat would be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for layer action, working on that, I would love love to see some sort of unusual kind of layer actions in monsters, like a like a Godzilla or Shadow of the Colossus style fight where you're fighting through multiple actions of a gigantic, ginormous monster. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, you just treat the each hand as a different monster uh, and that kind of thing. So players fight through an entire multi-stage. Uh, also, environmental stuff, I would like to see something giant about... hand? Well, like a giant... Well, like a giant... No, like I'm just thinking about mine... Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can have uh, uh, for the Smash Brothers themed game. Um, oh, I thought it was talking about Wallmasters. No, it was a spell that yeah. was cast. That um, was it Bigby's, Bigby's Master Hand? Yeah, <laughs> it was an illusion, I think. Um, anyway, so it was similar to what you did with the Avalith, but yeah, yeah. very skinned. Um, so I would like to see. I would also like to see more stuff on. 
making fights more varied through environmental uh, hazards or setting like stuff on um, yeah traps hazards or things that like change like mm-hmm. shifting battlefields mm-hmm. uh, battlegrounds like kind of the kind of material you'd see I saw in Iron Heroes yeah uh, is there stuff on I think you'll find there there is there's some stuff on traps in here yeah. there are. You know, sort of the run of the mill environmental but like, stuff. Really, but again, it's a prep times. Yeah, yeah like yeah. something really unusual. Um, and yeah, more better social conflict rules, like for factions and political yeah, intrigue, would be that, especially that, if they're doing uh, temple elemental evil. because yeah. uh, uh, I don't know if it's going to be temple, okay. but yeah, well, it's elemental just, evil was pretty infamous for, or famous for that. So right, but I don't know as it's per se going to be the temple so much as it's just themed around. But still, yeah. that would lead to those yeah cult factions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A- apropos of nothing. Also, else. I would like to see something kind of like the OGL to uh, yeah. maybe not exactly like the OGL, but something that makes third party publishing mm-hmm. easier. Yeah, uh, well, because it's supposed to be coming in the new year. Yeah. Along Ross's lines with that, maybe instead of generating more monsters with lair actions, give like a uh, a few pages in like a dungeon master's guide too, if it's not in here already, how to generate your own lair actions or a list of possible lair actions that mm-hmm. you can randomize. Something like that, so that you don't have to just do yeah. all this work, and you can just oh well, I want to use this monster as the boss. Yeah, I'll just do this, this, and this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah. something I am really excited about uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide that I've read through in the past couple of days is they've significantly expanded the material on downtime activities. Oh yeah, uh, in some pretty exciting ways. Like, I mean. Things that things that tend to come up in D and D games, there are you know explicit rules frameworks for. Let's say your PCs want to run a business or build a castle or like if you're running that kind of intrigue game, here's what it costs in time and money to spread rumors in communities of what size. You know, one thing that people do in RPGs, uh, RPG fans do, like they never run a game, but like, you, know, you always get that one supplement or something where you like build characters or you do something that's just for fun. Uh-huh. And like I know with third, I have one of my favorite hand book supplements of all time was the stronghold or stronghold builders guy yeah and i made like a bunch of strongholds that i never like maybe one turned up in a game but i love like figuring out what the best was. so i love some sort of nerdy kind of thing where like oh let's build a castle filled with traps or you know monsters or whatever because it was just yeah. a cool thing to do like for pc stronghold so uh that's just yeah i mean you can adapt that obviously but mm-hmm. like i don't know that would be fun but anyways <laughs> um so I think that's a good little uh, summary so far of what we've uh, thought about today. <laughs> a good hour and a half yeah. chatting. Um, so when we come back, we will have uh, shout-outs. We have a bunch of those. And then, of course, anecdotes uh, about uh, many uh, Fifth Ed uh, player experience. So we'll be right back. chosen music yet music yet but i'm sure it was great uh so uh anyways uh shout outs uh first off i would like to mention the better angels gm screen is out uh and i helped uh create it by uh, pick what material was actually on the screen so by his not a book well it's not mine and but by it, partially his not a book <laughs> yes that's it's, that's it's the gm really screen not a book. yeah, yeah. it, it kind of book yeah it 
fell apart. But yeah, anyways. Uh, so if you're, if you're running better angels, that's uh, definitely something to get. And why aren't you? Yes, because it's awesome. Uh, so uh, you have... We'll, we'll just take turns. Yeah, uh, I've, I've got a huge list because yeah, yeah. things are fun. Um, okay, Ross told, told me that he's previously shouted out to one of these movies, but I'm going to mention them both. Uh, they're Chinese uh, wushu detective movies-ish. At any rate, uh, they are... Uh, Detective D and I believe the uh, Phantom. Phantom Flame. Yeah, yeah Detective sure D that, and the Phantom Flame and Young Detective D and the Sea Dragon. I'm not mentioned. Um, yeah, yeah are, are pretty great. Like I said, Chinese detective movies with wushu elements set in like the 8th century. Yeah. I don't know. They're fantastic. I mean, uh, the subtitles on the version that's on Netflix, they are free streaming on Netflix. Are occasionally sketchy, but they're just yeah, they're great. I don't know what to say other than they're great. <laughs> All right, uh, there's a and uh, Sean, there's a show you you were watching. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of QI, which is short for Quite Interesting, which is a BBC trivia type show hosted yeah. by Stephen Fry. It's been going <laughs> on for several seasons. Um, I've seen clips of it. It sounds it looks it, like. it's really hard to get over here in the states, although they do have. Four seasons available on Hulu now, I believe, oh, okay. which is great. The best ones for me are the ones with David Mitchell because he has this wonderful angry yeah, logic. Mitchell is that, oh, yeah, of Mitchell and Webb. Yeah, David Mitchell. What? No, I think that. Uh, have you that's watched Mitchell, Mitchell and Webb? Web yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. show you later. Yeah. No, I've watched Mitchell and Webb. Oh, that's number one. What? That's number, number one. Have you seen that sketch? The game yes, show. I've yeah, watched yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, but so their series, which they're always based on letters in the alphabet. They just started L beginning the end of November. So there are a couple episodes in. Mitchell should be showing up on his stint on the show. (laughs) In the... No, December 19th. He's always in a couple of episodes. Because he runs a radio broadcast um, in Britain that's very similar to QI. So they have this very nice rivalry because they they do interesting facts, but with a bunch of comedians around a table, sort of in a game show setting. And I think I might have heard of this. Is this where Mornington Crescent came from? I think so. Okay. But I really enjoy it. I, I got hooked on it when I was doing research in Europe. Yeah. So um, now I, I need to get my fix. <laughs> so. Nice. Uh, actually, speaking of Europe, uh, I actually saw a movie. I didn't mention this earlier, but I saw it last night called As Above, So Below. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Uh, is that the Frenchy? It is a found or... footage yeah. uh, set in the Parisian catacombs. It yeah. was actually filmed in the catacombs. Uh, they actually got permission for the first on time. On location. Yes, on location. Uh, <laughs> and it's about... The main character I, I kind of love because she's a total PC. She's basically Laura Croft. And she's an expert in archaeology and martial arts. And so she's like, a Tom character. Yeah, no, she, no, she's more like Jason because she's uh, just like, fuck it, let's do it. Like, you know, no, let's grab this uh, artifact in the museum and look around it and set it on fire to find a clue. So, critically, yeah. and I, I'm, yeah. I don't know, I guess, I guess this is... She, Leroy Jenkins, the entire fucking movie. It's awesome. pretty awesome. It's pretty so, great. spoilers yeah. for the latest Ken and Robin, but do yeah. they run into a ghoul who turns out to be Nicholas Flamel? Uh, <laughs> yes, they do. Or they, he's mentioned uh, Flamel. I don't know if they... Awesome. I think they don't spin, there, are ghoul, there are ghoulish things in there. I don't think... There are ghouls in the catacombs, There are ghouls in the catacombs. So I can believe it. I've it's a highly entertaining there. movie. Uh, right. There are some jump scares, and there, there are a couple of like, what? But it, I don't know. And there's a whole alchemist sort of uh, huh. thing uh, to it. Um, looking for philosopher's stone. So anyways, it's very entertaining. Uh, very much... <laughs> the PC PC logic for life. 
uh, <laughs> I, I, I dug it. Um, so you, yeah, I've got a bunch more. Yeah, yeah. Um, next one on my list, uh, Binding of Isaac Rebirth is a uh, remake of the you Binding know cheap Isaac, yeah. indie Binding of Isaac game from uh, Edmund Edmund McMillan. Yeah, uh, also famous for Meat Boy. Um, it's been cleaned up and ported out of Flash. They have so controller no longer, support now, don't they? Yes, native yeah. controller support, which is really great. Um, That's the only reason why I didn't really play the first one that yeah, much. Yeah, native controller support now. Uh, it's cheap as cheap. Uh, there's a couple new chapters. I guess just one new chapter added. Yeah. Uh, one, two new bosses, uh, the Lamb and Mega Satan. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Um, mega or Mecha? Mega. Okay. Mega Satan. <laughs> it's one million Satans put together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's horrible. No, yeah. wait, that's 40 cakes. Um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I honestly, I will say, I don't know whether it's just uh, removing the weirdness of Flash or whatever. I feel like at the end of the day, they've ended up making the game easier, which definitely was the direction they had available to go. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm finding it easier, but maybe that's just, you know. More skill. Yeah, maybe I'm just getting better at twitchy video games. Uh, and speaking of video games, there was another Steam sale recently, so I've, I've loaded up on games. Uh, I've already mentioned Death Skid Marks in the last episode, but uh, I got another one, another roguelike called Dungeon of the Endless, uh, which is like you uh, are people on this prison ship, uh, spaceship, and you, you the, it, it, um, it gets damaged, you have to escape in an escape pod, mm-hmm. and you crash onto this planet, but you crash really far down into this a secret lab facility left by a previous species. So you're like 12 levels deep and you so have to get your way back up to the top. When will we be playing this in Base Raiders? <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, it, it is very sci-fi. It's space fantasy because there's also like... Um, alien. So like... <laughs> The thing is it combines roguelike with tower defense because you have this object that you need to protect. Uh, the crystal, which you have to get to the surface. Um, the crystal. And the monsters are all heading towards the crystal. And so you are you have to open up rooms to find the exit to each level. To, and then you have to take the crystal to the exit. Uh, but whoever's carrying the crystal is slowed down. So you have these heroes to protect the crystal and explore. And you can build little turrets to set it up. So it's actually got a, kind of a complex, unique gameplay. But it's got strategy. It's got real-time elements to it. It's... Uh, very unique title, very unique gameplay, and I, I, I really dig it. It's got great music, uh, very fun. Um, uh, this is Sean's first time, so I think he's out of. Uh, well, actually, can we do shout outs for charities and things like that? Oh, sure. Um, if Sean being all humanitarian, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Humane, it's, not humanitarian. You'll uh, get well, that when point, I say it. Point. But yeah. um, if anybody's looking to donate to a animal shelter this winter, the Haven of the Ozarks, which is in Wabash, Missouri, mm-hmm. is an excellent shelter. That's where we got our dog from, and the that's U- the jingling you might hear in the background. Yeah, from the dog um, collar. So. He's extremely well trained. They did all that work. Um, wow. It's really low fees when you adopt them, $75, and that came with all the immunizations and the spaying and neutering and a whole bunch of stuff that they give you as like a starter kit. Cool. So they really care about the animals. They really need a lot of help because they put so much investment into them. They give them a lot of range to run in So because they're out in the country, um, but they're a great organization. So hey, of the Ozarks, if you're thinking. Cool. All right. no, And they're at PetSmart in Springfield every fourth Sunday. Yeah. Um, so you can just walk up and they take, like... If you're in the area. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, if you're going to PetSmart... If you're in Europe, like, probably don't. don't book yeah. <laughs> they take donations in kind. So if you're buying, like, food or pet treats for your dog at PetSmart or whatever, you can just, like, double order and then hand it to them on your way out the door awesome. on every four Sundays. That's nice. really awesome. Cool. 
Uh, Back yeah. to me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll roll these together just to yeah, try yeah. to yeah cut this down a little bit. I got fulfillment on a couple of Kickstarters here lately. Um, they're both mapping products for, you know, weird uh, fantasy RPG stuff. Um, yeah. The first one probably more people have heard of is Dwarven Forge. Uh, their cavern set uh, is being fulfilled right now and so should be regularly available for purchase here soon um even in the gray like the unpainted gray the stuff is gorgeous the sculpts are really awesome melissa and i are going to have to like try to con people into helping us paint them at some point because <laughs> i don't think you're gonna have to just, con in that hard there's just so much to do like <laughs> i haven't even finished my dungeon tile yeah. like my straight dungeon set yet. yeah straight dungeon set was pretty awesome yeah very awesome yeah. oh the the caverns are i will say like probably even better are these um, like the ones that you had before with the little the three-dimensional stuff? Yeah, except okay. instead of just being, like, flagstone dungeons, they're actual, like, natural form cavern oh, stuff. Yeah, nice. it's, it's going to be great. We could do that catacomb um, game. That's true. <laughs> Totes could. Um, along with that, another mapping product, because I am a shameless whore for mapping products, yeah. uh, is called Blue Dungeon Tiles from a little company called Red Cobalt Games. Uh, if you remember... Those, like, second edition and, and I think even more so earlier, the maps that came in the back of D&D modules, yeah. they're always printed on that, like, that blue grid paper. Uh, somebody has come up with, I forget the guy's name, but um, really awesome mapping stuff that's kind of cast in that blue color. They're yeah, kind yeah. of... Old uh, school. Yeah. They're thin, kind of like a really heavy, I don't know, they're probably a little bit heavier than a cardstock, but they're also laminated on both sides. There's a bunch of form of like geoforms available. Um, they're just really good stuff. Uh, they'll be uh, you know attachable with like blue painters tape. Thanks, Charlie, for moving the chair. It just kind of um, collapsed. Yeah, just like, it happens. Uh, he went limp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I think they're really great. Uh, Ross, have you ended up using those yet? Ross, no, I was going to use them in that gate crashing game, but then I got like distracted and I forgot to like map it out. Boom. I know. You're well, now I have the monster. catacombs game. Like now I have all these other ideas for that. It's true. So, um, and actually, there's actually another good way I could use it uh, from the new supplement I got for the laundry. Uh, God Game Black, uh, because this is the uh, updating the laundry series for uh, the RPG for the fourth novel, the Apocalypse Codex. Adds a bunch of new stuff, including the Black Chamber, and more importantly, uh, which is the U.S. Occult Intelligence Agency, which is they're very fucking scary and evil. Like if you sign up with them, you you literally they literally get your soul when you die. and they file it away. They might resurrect you if you're useful, or they might file you away for a so, time. So, PSS. No. <laughs> yeah, well, again, this is more like the uh, NSA or something like that with a cult Cthulhu mythos so. technology. <laughs> so for all of you Delta Green players who thought Majestic was a bag full of dicks. Yeah, no, this is, they're, 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 they're pretty terrible. Um, but the, they also have a chapter on the Plateau of the Sleeper, uh, which is where the big bad of the setting is sleeping, and there were ruins in it. Uh, Toad's not Neuralothotep. Yeah, so you could totally um, have an adventure where the players are sent to the Plateau to go investigate some ruins that showed up or something like that. Uh, so uh, there could be dungeon crawling in that. Uh, it's a really cool book. Uh, it's got a really a lot of neat stuff. They have a whole chapter on external assets, which are the laundries like mercenaries uh, that they hire out. So if you want to do a more standard Cthulhu cowboy kind of game, you get to make characters that have the the laundry kind of computational demonology, but aren't bound by the bureaucracy. So more of a uh, of the laundry. Uh, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you, you haven't read the laundry, but it's literally bureaucrats with Cthulhu mythos. No, I can see bureaucrats being demons. That makes British. perfect sense. 
Yeah. British yeah. bureaucrats. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Yeah. Are they also university administrators? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Maybe not that evil. Uh, <laughs> they're supposed to be the good guys. Uh, so, uh, highly recommend it. Um, and... I think finally you just had the Gale Force spell cards. You guys, yeah, I've got that. Uh, which we talked about those yeah, yeah. in the main thing. So yeah, I'll put a link into it. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, but there's one Fifth Ed thing. You guys talk a lot about Fifth Ed. There's actually a character generator that I found. It's oh, like yeah? a Java. It's just powered on one web page. That's how I made my characters for these one shots. Because it's like click here. What is what? What class? What level? What are your stat increases? What build are you choosing? Nice. And it prints it all out. All right. So uh, I'll put a link to that okay. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, for any of you who haven't heard the internet getting real wild about it yet, there's a podcast out there called Serial. It's kind of a spinoff from This American Life. Uh, we're not sure, but what Caleb may have already talked about this. Yeah. But uh, essentially, it's a deep dive kind of true crime reporting on one crime for like an entire season's worth of episodes. Uh, I won't go into it too deep, but if you haven't checked it out yet, you really should. Yeah. Um, I know it's probably a little gauche to say that like there are gameable elements in a true crime thing yeah but we previously just had a whole episode I, about the, yeah yeah so uh, uh yeah yeah those are things it's very good uh and you had two more actually yeah okay yeah. uh i'll just dispose of those uh, really yeah. quickly okay um first off a board game i picked up back at game con back yeah. in uh, october finally started playing a little bit tales of the arabian nights um, is really great. Once again, in kind of a picaresque kind of thing. Uh, it's a bit more storytelling than most of the Euro games I'm used to playing, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, basically, you're a character from the Arabian Nights, and you start out in Baghdad, and the goal of the game is to kind of stumble around the mythical Middle East, having things happen to you, <laughs> Until you hit a critical mass of story and destiny points, and then you go back to Baghdad and become the Sultan, more or less. Um, it's pretty great. And then my final kind of weird shout-out, uh, it's just been Thanksgiving, so uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to a cooking technique we've talked, uh, Ethan and I have talked a little bit about on the forums, uh, spatchcocking. If you ever find yourself in need of cooking a, uh, specifically a whole turkey for Thanksgiving, look up spatchcocking, because I managed to cook a 14-pound turkey in an hour and a half. You might want to spell that for them, because I can see that going horribly, horribly wrong on a search. Spatchcocking? It's pretty no, direct, it's, actually. Yeah, actually, it's all one word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't separate it. But yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like butterflying, but a little more advanced, but if you want to avoid the sort of normal turkey problems of dry breast meat or or your dark meat's not done, do this. You're going to cut out the backbone and essentially give your turkey CPR, uh, and it'll all get done really fast and all together. It's pretty great. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I will not try that, but I'm sure I will I will appreciate it. It's actually in Julia Child's cookbook as well for duck, but mm. you can use it on any bird. Yeah. Okay. So if you, ha if you happen to have that, yeah. I'm clearly... Bored in the kitchen. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so finally, we have anecdotes. Um, I mean, we've been playing a lot of like eclipses lately, and uh, there have been some shenanigans vis-a-vis uh, -vis Jason uh, showing up for one shot, and also the Jovian Republic. But we can save that for another episode. Uh, this is about Fifth Head D and D, and you guys have been running a ton of and playing a ton of Fifth. So where do you want to start? Yeah, should I start with my video game one with the? Let's see. I know I've got. Why don't we start with the one that was actually mentioned in the episode, which was okay. dealing with the problem players? Okay, yeah. so. The Remember those problem players from 
other errands game, which I should mention, I was essentially just a sergeant at arms in this game, yeah. sitting oh, back, trying to trying... absolve yourself of responsibility. No, 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 no. Hold I was order. trying to make sure everybody understood how the system worked and failing horribly because they didn't really want to listen. But that's aside from the point. So You know, you're in academia. You should have known that you were going to be telling people things. They didn't, they didn't let me write a syllabus. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> a syllabus for RPG. That is a great idea. So I like it. I will Coming do soon it next for Ross Payton. <laughs> or Sean Whippy, whichever one of us does it first. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I was trying to come up with ways for Aaron to not have it be some murder hobo because me sitting there and having to deal with this while Aaron was just letting it run rampant was driving me nuts. Yeah. So I related my problem to Bill, especially the problem of them killing each other. And so Bill came up with this solution. All right. So in complete fairness to Caleb, I totally ripped this off from him. Uh, I was listening to no evil at the time. Um, so Sean related to me. That his group of, you know, unsane, yeah, level three unsane murder hobos. The chimps that I've been observing from the wild. (laughs) Had had decided that they were going to take on a, was it a a young adult or full on adult green dragon? It was a young green dragon. Okay, but still, yeah. uh, They were level twos at this point. Yeah, twos or threes. Uh, the dragon is like a level eight. It's a bad deal. So, yeah. you know, uh, having read monster entries in D&D before and stuff like that, knowing kind of what a green dragon did, and like I say, ripping off Caleb, I, I wrote back to Sean that, you know, based on what is said about a green dragon, you know, a green dragon, each chromatic dragon has kind of its favorite type of treasure. Green dragons, in addition to, you know, gold and gems and valuable stuff, like to have agents. They like to have people. Well... They're like Pokemon trainers. Yeah. <laughs> Only we're the Pokemon. <laughs> so so I figured, based on that, that a dragon that knew it could completely wipe the floor with these adventurers wouldn't put things to chance, just in case, you know, the adventurers might accidentally off it by, you know, some weird adventurer kind Five of way. in a row, Yeah. yeah. So obviously it would have some sort of agenda. And here's the agenda that it would have. Uh, In 5e, the way I've read the rules, which uh, this is just what I've read. I may have been wrong, but whatever. I like it. So it's going to be my house (laughs) rule. Uh, Basically, you can, yeah, you can choose to do non-lethal damage when you knock a character out or knock a monster character, whatever, when they would normally go into negatives and start dying. All you have to do is choose. Uh, so I said, all right, to Sean, I wrote back to him in an email, here's what I feel like the Green Dragon should do. He fights all the characters just to knock them out, and then wakes them up, clapped in irons at the back of his cave, where he draws attention to the new necklaces they're all wearing, <laughs> which are all magic items that have uh, the explosive runes spell etched on them, um, with you know, several uh, contingencies on which the explosive rune spell now located around their necks will detonate. Namely, of course, the command word, if the dragon just says, all right, it's time for you to die now, or um, if they attack the dragon any further, 
Or if they attack agents of the dragon, which now include all their fellow party members. <laughs> yeah, uh, were there any other specifics? I think that, that was, was pretty much it. it. Yeah. But it actually wound up being a little bit better. And this was the only time that I actually really enjoyed this was because they were complete and total saps. So they were totally obsessed with gold. These players were wanting to know if they could trade XP for gold. <laughs> that kind of a player. Kind of a thing. Yeah, it's stupid. But... Anyway, so they get to the dragon, and instead, the dragon congratulates them on getting there and offers them <laughs> treasure, which they willingly take. Your and reward. They take the shiny necklaces. They have choices, actually. There were multiple things of treasure. Multiple choice points. So oh. the necklaces are oh. gold, and all of the coins are copper. They go for the golden necklaces and put they, them around their necks. Like, I specifically asked them. Like, this was... Aaron let me do this, but he didn't want me to do it to where they were, like, forced to do it. Yeah. With the knockout and putting them on their necks because he is a little bit too benevolent to not... Uh, I don't know. I it. feel like they had choice there. They had choice to, to fight, fight an 8th yeah. level... That's yeah. fine. I still wound anyway, up getting yeah. them. Yeah. Because I'm an asshole, even though Aaron's <laughs> not. So... I, I, you yeah. must go with the name. Yeah. So they they put them on willingly and like are showing off their bling bling. And then the dragon goes, oh, by the way, <laughs> I should mention, if you look on the back of those, there's a set of instructions and there's magic glyphs on the front. This is what you can and can't do. And so they've been dealing with that for a while. And they did manage to calm down and get to Wave Echo Cavern before they started acting stupid again. At which point, apparently, I, I peaced out. I was done yeah. because I was my blood pressure doesn't need that. Yeah. But um, Aaron apparently also finally got frustrated and activated the glyph. So just... They made two characters. No. Okay. It's Wave Echo. That's the end. Oh, okay. There, there's, it's, yeah. it's but they weren't getting anywhere because they just kept debating about yeah, like leaving the cavern or going back to a room they've already been into to look for more treasure and stupid crap like that or feeding someone to the ghouls that are in there. And apparently, wow. yeah, this, the, the other DM person is unwilling to use Raymond Chandler's law. And yeah, like, when in doubt, send in two goons with guns. Yeah, or Dashiell Hammett's just... Well, yeah. Same, yeah. Yeah. yeah, same thing. But if it was me, I probably would have just sicked the Tarrasque on them at some point. But <laughs> what it's there for. But the yeah. glyphs, heads exploded, game over. It's it's done. Yep. May I, it rest in pieces. <laughs> so, and uh, then, that's, that's one way of dealing with problem players. Since I, that was sort of my anecdote, do you want to go over the horse murder? <laughs> oh, horse murder. Okay. So, yeah, have been running Horde of the Dragon Queen. And uh, the... The fourth episode is, as we said before, kind of picaresque. You're uh, trailing the cult of the dragon as they move a horde of treasure in wagons uh, from Baldur's Gate up to Waterdeep. And essentially there's a like a D12 table of random things that can happen. So I had rolled out like... It's one of those wonderfully, you know, Gygaxian D&D things where, like, first you roll a d20 for each day to find out if something special happens. Then if something special happens, here's a random table of things that can happen. One of the things they ended up with was um, a member of the caravan who was sort of of a, uh, you know, upper middle class or maybe even noble bent. I thought he was a lawyer. Yeah. So, like I said... um, 
<laughs> is being a real dick to his horse. Uh, doesn't like his horse, beats it, berates it, uh, asks other characters to sell them his horse, etc. So um, some of the other, some of the characters who Melissa. were not Sean, specifically Melissa, my wife, uh, decided that they needed to do something about this because this isn't really framed as yeah. something you have to do anything about. This is yeah. just it a should thing be that's noted happening. that Melissa and I are both huge animal lovers, so this it's was true. sort of it's it's true. Stupid. it was yeah. baiting yeah. us, even though it was yeah. unintentional. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, no, this is it's no, it's I know about some of the monsters choices. are great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's um, choices. Yeah. It's choices. Continue. So Melissa, one morning, yeah, I guess I, I'll mention that. But, okay. Yeah. Melissa, one morning, had her character uh, dose the lawyer's food with poison. Um, and unfortunately, he rolled his, he made his constitution save. So I said, all right, so he's put off a little by it. He doesn't notice you doing it, but he has the shits all day. So weird, having intestinal discomfort doesn't make you any nicer to your horse. In fact... Riding a horse all day with intestinal com- discomfort probably makes you crabbier. So he starts beating his horse, and he looks like it's going to. It looks like he's going to kill it. And then Sean, uh, playing his warforged monk, decided that he was the law, um, <laughs> and decided to be judge, jury, and executioner. Runs up, punches the lawyer in the head. No. It was an axe. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I cleaved these, his head in twain. And normally I don't. Like I said, I normally don't do the murder hobo thing, but this was. But yeah, you have to was, draw a line. The uh, horse was gonna die. No, no words were spoken. Yeah, uh, he was not asked to stand down. It was just from the other side of the caravan. The robot runs up and axes him in the head. Uh, I, as I recall, you criticaled. Yes, um, critted. So instead of like just axing him, you actually, yeah, you decapitated him. And then once again, because I was listening to No Evil, I decided uh, the whole thing on the Scum Swarm was a pretty good uh, framework for things. Yes. So the Caravan Master staged an impromptu murder trial uh, for the robot, uh, where the other, you know, lesser wagon masters of the wagon train would serve as essentially the jury voting for... uh, what to do with uh, Sean's character. And uh, thanks to some quick political engineering and diplomacy checks on the rest of the party's part. Mostly they, Melissa acting yeah. as my advocate. Uh-huh. Running around being really charming to people because sorcerers have high charisma. Yeah. Um, managed to, yeah, get him acquitted. Uh, yeah. For <laughs> well, now. I wasn't even... Yeah. Yeah, instead of just forcing you to leave the wagon train or clapping you in irons and delivering you to the magistrate of the next town. Well, it should be noted that you did try to clap me in irons and I tried to be all stealthy with smoke bombs and it failed repeatedly. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. Weird. Um, But yeah, but uh, we have yet to fully explore the consequences of. uh, And I am actually looking forward to what the consequences will be. Spoilers, it's probably going to involve assassins. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. Um, But sympathy monsters are a uh, time honored tool of the DM. Yeah. Uh, And I recently used one also in an Eclipse Face game. Uh, Aaron, the RPPR is Aaron. This is going to be Scrum Troll. Yeah, uh, so they're in the Jovian Republic, they're undercover, and they. uh, A factory blows up. 
up for reasons and in the city. And this causes a lot of unrest, so the police send mm-hmm. out search teams all throughout. They just do a crackdown. And in the midst of this crackdown, they find an innocent AGI that had been living in the fringes of Jovian society, just undercover oh, for boy. years. Uh, so I was influenced because I'd just seen the trailer for Chappie, and I'm just saying this is just some poor AGI that uploaded itself, just basically a toaster that got too smart and built itself a robot body, and was just, the, the police are like, oh, this guy was clear, they're using him as a scapegoat, they're gonna, you know. Uh, so, so what, did you think it would be too on the nose to make it a Cyrock copy? Uh, no, yeah, it was too on the nose. It, there's no way it could have gotten into the joking, it was just like, uh, a, yeah, a toaster that got too smart. Um, and the, of course, Aaron's like, well, we have to rescue him. Well, he might have valuable knowledge about how to survive in the Jovian society undercover. Like, yeah, but it has nothing to do with your mission. And so Caleb was against it. Uh, but they wound up, uh, they didn't go to the police station themselves to rescue it. They hired a sociopathic assassin to do it for them. Bartleby? Uh, no, uh, another one. Uh, I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I know. But this guy had already had a way into the police station because he figured he would need to because he was basically a freelance assassin for the local criminal syndicates. And he said, yeah, pay me me 50,000 credits and I'll do it you know or uh, and so or pay me or help me get my money off the Jovian Republic and I'll do it for you and so they do they say yeah okay we'll help you and so they don't do anything themselves but when he goes in there they say yeah he kills like a dozen cops you know and they're all flies with no backups and so he kills a dozen innocent cops in order to get this one robot and the one human sympathizer out of it so good job but Air's like yeah it was worth it you know because <laughs> that's where his priorities are so uh, but yeah uh, and it, it will come into the next session, but I don't, but that hasn't happened yet. Basically, um, so that's something to look forward. But uh, and speaking of sociopathic actions, uh, I think we should end on the uh, game that you were on the second oh, one, the which Nintendo has one. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't give too much away about the plot, but at one, it's it's a Nintendo themed yeah game to where you're sucked into the universe, sort of yeah. whatever Captain N style. Nint- the plane of Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> at, at some point, Nintendo. our heroes, which included Tom, Aaron, Ross, and Anne, yeah. and David, yeah. um, fought Bowser and a couple of skeleton Koopas, uh, and they quickly dispatched them, much to my surprise, which is why the encounter calculator probably needs some work. Yeah. Yeah. But um, after they had killed him, to my abject horror, <laughs> Tom and Anne both ask, can we wear his shell as armor? <laughs> and so they had been given Benes, sort of like what Bill does with Benes. Which where they were kind of like moxie points in yeah. space. And they spent all of their Benes re-rolling on strength checks to pry the shell off of Bowser to wear it. And then Love when one of them shell. got it, they're like, well... There's the the chest plate shell. We could move that <laughs> off too, so both of us could have armor. And like up there, like I was like, okay, I'll let you have like a plus one armor class or something from this if you really want to do it. And so they basically shell Bowser completely, and then go marching into the next room wearing pieces of Bowser, leaving his. It's the name of my high school ska band. <laughs> and I think it's my some high point, school chip tune band. David had mentioned making turtle soup out of him yeah. too, so they really hated on Bowser we're, quite we're, a bit. Quite murder. Yeah, you don't waste not want not. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> we use every part of the. NPC. Well, didn't he also <laughs> yeah. like barbecue Ganon after a problem too? Yeah. But, well, yeah. It, 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 whatever, but anyway, that's <laughs> uh, if I give away any more, I'll give away the whole plot. So, yeah. and there will hopefully be a sequel. 
Yeah. I've got the sequel drafted. It's game, just a matter game, of playing, game. which, Bill, you are welcome to play because it doesn't well, matter if you played in the previous one. Yeah. So you yeah. just need to build a level of character. But anyway. All right. With that lovely mental image in your head. Yes, a flayed, <laughs> shelled Bowser. I think I've read fan fiction like that. Uh, it's horrid. Uh, so, yes, this has been RPBR episode 109, the fifth head D&D breakdown. Uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.